the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad we can be here with you this morning. Kenneth and I are live in the studio today. I haven't seen you in a minute, girl. It has been a while. How are you? Man, doing great, especially since we've gotten the rain. Just changes attitude. And gotten over COVID. Yeah, there's that too. You know, yeah. You know. <laughs> and vacations and all that stuff. But I agree with you. I mean, I've never in my life seen people post pictures of rain. Oh, that's funny. You know, I mean, I mean never. And, and, and these comments up under there, like, how glorious is this? Yeah. You know? Yes. Well, how about, um, okay, so yesterday it rained, everybody got rain. Yeah. But then I think the day before yesterday, people that, um, friends, family, calling from all various areas of Memphis going, oh, it just rained six times here. I didn't get any rain in Midtown. Well, see, two, I, two I was out of town, but I, on, when I got in the other night, mm-hmm. uh, I noticed that things were wet. So I'm thinking it did rain because right. when I was leaving Nashville, it was it was a huge thunderstorm. Oh, was it? Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, the whole time I'm driving through it, I hadn't seen rain in forever. You know, <laughs> yes. it's like I don't know how to drive Has through this stuff anymore. Three months or something. But I was hoping. I was. I told my wife. I said, I hope and pray this came from Memphis. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and like I said, when I did get home, it it was a little wet looking. I mean, yeah. I, I I knew it had rained a little, but I didn't know how much. Right. And then I heard rain thunderstorm you know thunder the next morning so i'm like all right maybe here we go here we go thank goodness because oh my goodness i was really 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 tired of watering who was it <laughs> and i tell you it, it my lawn that had gone semi-dormant because mm-hmm. of the drought um, the backyard yeah yeah looked like it uh, it i mean it greened up overnight it's amazing i mean it really is i that mean it's it, it, it doesn't look anything like it did a week ago because it was bermuda yeah if it was zoysia it might, might have been half and half well back. no and, and even the zoysia i've got some zoysia uh, in front up under a tree that was it was dry looking too veda mm-hmm. i'm telling you and it it's really oh. greened back up so hey So we got lucky so far. I have seen dwarf mondo grass burned or brown in a lot of different areas. And I guess the root system's just so shallow on it, you know? You know, I've never seen it burn like that in my life until this year. Uh, Dwarf mondo. I mean, you can run over it with a bulldozer. I mean, this stuff is tough as everything. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I saw a, a good bit of that. A lot of people were coming in in the last month. Uh, with you know the tips burned, mm-hmm. and in fact, sometimes even halfway down the the blade, yeah, was burned, and it, it's all weather related. Every well, bit of that, you know, that just now made me think about how we dwarf, grow dwarf mondo in shade, but then a lot of times we'll grow it all the way up to full sun. Absolutely, and that works great when it gets plenty of moisture. So mm-hmm. this one area I saw it in, it was like next to a dry creek bed, but it was in the sun, and it always looked good, but. This time. You put that dwarf mondo that will grow in full mm-hmm. sun. But, but if you don't keep it hydrated, it's going to burn just like your grass will out there. Yeah. So isn't that amazing how things will perform differently in different microenvironments? Well, case to point. In fact, I may made a note of this. I've got some globe arbovitas in front of my house. And then I've got some little uh, yopon hollies in front of that. Okay. They were there when I moved in the house. The globe arbovitas on the left side of my front house mm-hmm. behind the big, Tulip poplar yeah. look absolutely beautiful. And I've been watering, I mean, I water them things maybe once every two weeks, okay? Mm-hmm. 
uh, because they're well established. Now, we should have watered more because the ones on the other side of the house uh-huh. in the full sun that are not shaded by this big tree in the front yard, the tops of those arborvitaes are as brown as everything. Wow. And they're fine, Veda. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're yeah. they're going to be fine. I, I should have watered more, to be honest with you. It, that's all it is. It was all weather-related. But that's the first time I've seen the tops of those arborvitaes burn. Mm-hmm. I've been in this house for 20 years. Goodness. And I've never seen them burn like this before, ever. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, it wasn't just the heat that we had, but it was the lack of water. Yeah. Typically, we'll get some timely rains in here. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, or at least not roasting. Oh my either, God! I mean, know. I mean, if you look at it, you're like, "What is wrong with these over here?" And mm-hmm. these over here look great. Yeah, we get a lot of those Amazing. questions also. Yeah, so this side's flush and green, but it's getting a little more shade. Yeah, and then the other side, still, you're doing the same watering habits yep. on both, but the other side is discolored. Well, and, it's, yeah. and, <laughs> and these tips are burned. I'm telling you, I mean, it looks like somebody got a blowtorch and went over the top of these arborvitaes. And I've got them, um, you know, kind of. She- <laughs> What, a, what do I not have sheared, right? <laughs> kind of sheared, uh, and it, they're a little flat on the top. And it, it they if you was to sit there and just look at just the top, mm-hmm. you would swear these things were dying or dead. Now. Well, that's good news that they're still going to be fine. Now, here's the one thing that the summer drought and no water has done is actually show stressors from the winter. You know, like the arbovitas mm-hmm. that had all the winter damage and they were falling over on the ground From and the all of that. And yeah. And snow. So we um, at work pulled them all back up, you know, against the wall. And uh, well, not against it, but straight up. But since they had fall or leaned over, mm-hmm. half of the root system on each side on the back had ripped. Mm-hmm. So we stood them back up. And these are still in containers, I'm assuming. Oh, these are in the ground. In the ground. Okay. Yeah. And um, wow. so we. We didn't water over there, really, just because we just do it like we always do, a little water here and there. Now you see them really brown because the roots had never established completely after they had fallen over. So that's actually damage from the winter because if the roots hadn't have been broken because of the snow making them lay over, then they would have been able to absorb the moisture. Now, how do they look now? I mean, are just they going to be okay no, though? No, we're just going to take them out. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah, just going to take them and out. And I wonder if you had really paid attention to the watering on those. If it would have. Who knows? I know, that is. And that's one of those 50-50s. It's worth a try. But they went into this summer drought already you know, beaten up because they had gotten knocked over, like you said, this past winter. And the root system had already been compromised. So that's a double whammy on those things. Right, it was. And see, they were kind of around the corner, out of sight, out of mind, you know. And then, because I agree with you, I'm like, well, what if we had, if they were out in the open where we notice them all the time, if we had have done, if I had have done the normal care that I tell y'all what to do. The root stimulators, yeah. you know, the compost on top, right, making sure they stay hydrated. They yeah. probably would have been okay. Yeah, because when we stood them up, it was still freezing cold outside yeah. and added some mulch and all that. And then as time goes on, you're too busy to go around over there and look. So I think we, I think they would have lived. But you don't know we, that, though, I mean, because yeah. there again, the, the roots had been compromised. I mean, so many times, like even the Japanese maple, you know, you're seeing the splits and the trunks and so forth, even some of the dogwoods. You know, a lot of that damage we didn't see till it started getting hot this summer. Right. And then they yeah. just 
steadily declined because yeah. of what happened last winter. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so, so y'all may be seeing some of that as well mm. because mm. you'll we'll get samples in of things, and you can usually tell what's happening. But every once in a while, we'll get samples in that that you're you're saying you know Mm-mm. I just don't know. Well, because the end result can be from so many different things: yes. too much water, not enough water, winter damage, from you know, the summer. Past. Who yeah. who knows? Yeah, because everything can look okay right now. Uh, the root system still looks moist and all, but what happened was so many months back that you're not even seeing it. Well, and I really think we sowed probably more root stimulators this year than we ever have because mm-hmm. of what you're just talking about. So many shrubs out there, even established shrubs, like the ones I'm telling you about, my arbovitis. Like I said, I've never had to go out there, really never had to water them, to be honest with you. Yeah. Honestly, never. But this mm-hmm. year, uh, but plants that are that are stressed, I mean, of course, we've been preaching water, 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 you know, for the last three months, but also the root stimulators. I mean, it, it, you know, whether it's underwater or over water, it's still a root-related problem. Right, true. So yeah. the stimulants that stimulate good root growth, you know, we tell people to go out there and saturate those root systems, Veda, once a week for, you know, at least a month. And that really helps, to, you know, if you have a good root system, you typically have a decent plant. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. That's that's one of the reasons why natives are so popular is because, or we would like to do more natives, is because the native roots on these plants are able to penetrate so much deeper mm-hmm. and where all our ornamentals aren't as deep. So that's why people like natives, but we don't really have enough to create a nice, manageable landscape. Well, I think I'm going to go out there, if it wasn't raining, if it doesn't rain today, and if it does, I, I will embrace mm-hmm. it. But if it doesn't, I'm going to go out there and just kind of lightly shear the top of these arbovitas. Just to get that brown off, yeah. even though I know it's superficial, but it kind of taught me a lesson, mm-hmm. though. Yeah, and see, I noticed you said, oh, go ahead. What that was the lesson? The lesson <laughs> is that just because you never had to water a very hardy, established plant before, mm-hmm. if we go through another era like we did this year, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, 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 and like I said, I, it's not like I never watered. I'd water these things every two to three weeks, mm-hmm. like I said before. But, Veda, I've never, I mean... You didn't even think about no. it. It's just normal. And then all of a sudden we're looking up thinking, wait. Yeah. Wait, when did it rain last? Exactly. And then the one thing I noticed you said where it sheared lightly. Because if you shear deeper into it, it Mm-mm. can still cause some sunburn not later. Do it lightly. Because we're still not finished. We got August ahead of us. Yeah. But surely we're not going to have like we just did. Uh, don't say that, please. Right. What am I saying? We are in Memphis. So, everyone out there listening, give us a call. 260-5926. We will be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call at 260-5926. You can stream us 24-7 on the Mighty 990. Uh, app and you can download it now. Yeah, the Monday 990 Facebook page right there. Jan Farmer said, Good morning, Dirt Buddies. Good morning, Jan. I've been trying to text you for a week. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, Well, surely I'll hear from her on Facebook this morning. Well, you know, I told my wife uh, yesterday, I said, Let me know um, if it actually starts to rain. Okay. Mm-hmm. Reason being, I don't know, I'm a glutton for punishment, I guess, <laughs> is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed my lawn today or tomorrow, mm-hmm. and I haven't dared even thought about feeding it when it was under so much stress mm-hmm. from lack of water. Because I didn't want, you know, my Bermuda was actually not wanting to grow Veda. Yeah. It was going semi-dormant. It was, you know, it was just kind of sitting there. And other than watering, that's really all I could do for it. 
But like I told you, after this rain that we got, I mean, it is green back up. And I've got uh, a little lawn food left over from the first application that I did, you know, two months mm-hmm. ago. So what I typically do is I'll put the lawn food in a spreader, and then I'll get a plastic bag and put it over the spreader. I'm out yeah. there in the rain <laughs> putting this stuff out now, and I want to make sure that it really gets washed in. I don't want mm-hmm. it to s- sit there and stick on the wet blade of mm-hmm. the grass because that could burn potentially. So. If it, there you are. If it starts to rain, rain. And, and my new neighbor has probably never seen a me do this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been there a couple of months, uh, and he's, of course he's never seen me do this before. So <laughs> I'm just kind of waiting to see, you know, get a phone call from this guy and go, yeah. uh, what are you doing? Right. Or he's talking to the other neighbor, <laughs> and they're like, oh, that he's that crazy gardener dude. <laughs> there he You'll is. You'll see him just in ignore the dark that. and in the rain. And <laughs> yes, if it rains today... I'm working out in the rain. Yeah. I, I mean, want the rain just as much as the plants do. I feel like I could just get uh, moisture yeah. absorbed, <laughs> but like our plants are getting. I know they're so happy. Every, you know, it's funny. It's amazing how you can water and water and water, and they're fine. They're living. But as soon as you get that same. rain, <clears throat> it's not the same. blooms perk up better. You and know, I tell pop you, out. and as much watering as we had to do on our containers, not only bedding, bedding plants and so mm-hmm. forth, and the, what I should have been doing to my lawn and my established shrubs, but the bedding plants and the containers, and, you know, they probably need to be fed also. Absolutely. You know, because yeah. I've been just, you know, I've washed every bit of nutrient value that's in these pots, I'm sure, completely mm-hmm. out. With all the um, with all the watering that I had to do, now those I had been watering because I knew if I didn't water those, yeah. they were dead. So not only am I going to try to water uh, to feed my lawn, I'm going to try to get out there and feed these containers also. And this will probably be the last time I have to feed them mm-hmm. for the the summer crop or the spring summer blooming annuals. Now, of course, before too too long, we'll be back in there putting the fall color in. But uh, I just think they need a little shot of that fertilizer. Uh, because of all the watering we had to do. Oh, absolutely! I took just a bag of worm castings and a little and a cup, uh, went around to all of our containers, put earthworm castings in those. Then, like some of the one-gallon containers, like the hibiscus. Oh yeah. You know, since they bloom so much, and I knew they had to be just Depleted. done, no fertilizer at all. So I did the worm castings in all of those, and this was like a couple of weeks ago. And um, put it in like the beauty berry. It started mm. looking a little yellow. And then just throughout the time of watering has gotten the fertilizer down mm. in there, starting to get it activated. And then after the rain, I mean, tons of buds just started popping out on the hibiscus. Now, when you put earthworm castings, which I love, by mm. the way, I mean, do you use that as strictly as your fertilizer or do you also add a little non-burning osmocote mm-hmm. or something like that too. Yeah. yeah, like... Um, or even a liquid plant food. Like one... Kind of depends on how stressed or how long they've mm. been in the container. But a lot of times I'll switch between, say, plant tone, mm-hmm. uh, two weeks, and then another two weeks worm castings. And then another time I water, I use the water-soluble. Like the big bloom or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that's all good all three of those are really good to do through the whole season but some seasons i only get away with doing one yeah (laughs) so but then it tends to not last as long or be as lush if i don't keep the fertilizing but the but the earthworm castings to me seems like your secret recipe though it really is and whether it's in indoor containers house plants or whether it's Mm -hmm. outdoor containers your bedding plants or even whatever you have in your containers i mean and you do that 
twice a year, Miss Beta? At least two to three times. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because like you said, we're just water, and we're water and water, and and there's no surrounding soil to pull anything from. And also, our containers are usually there because of all the blooming that mm-hmm. we want from it. And blooming takes more water and more fertilizer too. Yeah, and what in the uh, have you noticed the the limelight hydrangeas? When I had been watering those also mm-hmm. uh, because I saw where the buds were starting to break, and of course now they're in full bloom. Well, when I get home from out of town, I mean, it, there a lot of the blooms are laying on the ground. I mean, mm-hmm. the limb is laying on the ground with the bloom yeah. because of the weight of the rain. <laughs> And I'm thinking, okay, well, they looked better uh, yesterday afternoon when it started to dry up a little bit. But I was thinking, Veda, maybe I need to get out there and cut these things back early next spring. Uh-huh. Kind of like you yeah. would a knockout rose. You know, you. if you don't want it to get so big where the limbs are not maybe not quite strong enough to hold up that bloom after a rain, which we hadn't seen in two months, where, you know, I don't think I would have that problem. Now, they still look beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But I've never seen it do that. Uh, but I've never cut these things back either. And they're, yeah. you know, six foot tall and five foot wide and have hundreds of blooms on them. Gosh, it's beautiful. But they are, but they are especially the ones on the bottom, they're just kind of laying down, those limbs are. Now, they came up a little bit. But I'm thinking if I get in there and really cut this thing back uh, next spring, early spring, say in March, mm-hmm. um, you know, I probably won't have that so, problem. Yeah, no, you know, that's that's a hard one to figure out sometimes when because like sometimes we'll prune back and it'll make them bloom bigger and better next year which is good but then you're in the same position where the they bloomed bigger and better but they're still weighted and fall over that doesn't happen all the time but i see that sometimes and you're like well which one's my best option and and the reason i haven't done it is because i really wanted these things to be as big as they are now Mm -hmm. um you know because they're up against a you know a six foot fence and i wanted to hide a part of that fence and they do a beautiful job in doing that. And like I said, and they're absolutely beautiful right now with all the white blooms on them. But I just had never experienced them, never seen them kind of lay down like that, especially towards the bottom of the, yeah. of the shrub. Yeah, see, ours is doing the, I planted it last year in front of the garden center, and it's on the west side, so it gets tons of heat. And I did, you're right, I noticed that the other day coming in, like the top... Or the middle is is upright. They're, they're fine, right? And then the sides, but the middle doesn't have any blooms on mine. Maybe a few. Well, mine, this, yeah, mine does. Yeah. But did you see? I'm seeing this around too, where, and you almost see it every summer in some places, but it's almost everywhere where there's just a little brown on each white bloom of the limelight where they just didn't get quite mm-hmm. enough. Like mostly out in a lot of commercial places, mm-hmm. you know, where they're set where they're not getting the water right, the irrigation's changed. Had a, a little, little bit, bit of burn already mm-hmm. on that on that bloom. But I'm also wondering instead of cutting them back, uh, you know, if I just add some potassium to them. Yeah. You know, potassium will help harden those cell walls to make the the limbs more rigid, if you will. Um, so I might yeah. do that now, then come back maybe this fall and add a little more and see if that helps me for the next oh, year. Yeah. You know, yeah, instead of having to cut one. them back. Yeah, we got to remember this one. It's an experiment. Yeah. Because, you know, I do experiments too. <laughs> like my experiment of the elephant ears on my container um, on the patio. Okay, this one's so crazy. Okay, I had one elephant ear bowl planted in a big container. And people do that all the time. Yeah, last year on the patio. And so I'm like, okay, let me just see how much, how hardy these are. Because, you know, it used to be, can elephant ears live in the ground? Do we need to bring them in? Yeah. And on and on. 
So I left it out in the container only one time when it got really cold for a number of days. I pulled it up against the house. Well, the season starts and I'm looking at the bulb and I go, it's it's not even uh-huh. alive. So I'm able to just pull the bulb right out of the container. Mm-hmm. It froze. Yeah. But now I want to know why the container next to it has an elephant ear growing out of it. And the container that I took the bulb out, I mean, the bulb and everything still has elephant ears coming up. And then the bulb that I planted this year <laughs> is not even as big as the ones that came up in the pot that's not supposed to have any because I took it out. Well, that's the thing with the elephant ears, though. <laughs> if you put the bulb in the ground, you can't count on that bulb to come back. A lot of times they do. Mine came mm-hmm. back for like eight years. Yeah. But it's not anything that you can count on, kind of like lantana. Right. You plant lantana, you can't count on it to come back mm-hmm. the next year, even Miss Huff and some of these other hardy varieties. But sometimes they do. Yeah, and the thing is, is, you know, obviously it came up from around the outer side, and then, they, you know, we understand that they'll put uh, new babies out. But, but I thought when I pulled the old bulb out that there would be some resistance where the new bublets were on there. But like you left you those tell. in the pot. But they were in there, so now I have all these... Elephant ears growing up in all these places that I wasn't expecting. And of course, they come up slower. But then the bulb that I planted is still trying to unfurl one leaf. That's great. (laughs) But I did wait a pretty good amount of time to plant that bulb because you know how it is in the garden center. I'm going to let everybody that can possibly buy one, buy one. And then if there's any left over, I'll buy one. So (laughs) everything's late for me. And I'm sure you too. Same thing. I'm telling you. Well, you know. We've got so much to talk about because one thing, we haven't been here for two weeks. Yep. But we're like in the in the dog days, but almost over. Yeah. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So give us a call to 605-926. You can look us up on our Facebook Live. You can post uh, questions on there. The Mighty 990 Facebook page. And Audrey texted in. She said, Limelights are loving the heat. Yes, they do. I'm yes. telling you. And like we, like I always say, remember when they first came out and I didn't believe it and had to put a one-gallon bucket in the hottest place possible in the garden center because I'm, I'm telling it, huh, you think you can take full sun? Well, do they mean full sun Yeah, uh, we're talking about a hydrangea that can yeah. take full sun? And no. And, no, and it did. Of course they and did. And after that, I'm like, okay, I'm good with this. Still was a little nervous the first couple of years about going, oh, yeah, full sun, go right ahead. Still a little nervous because the word is hydrangea. But any, of those, <laughs> right. but any of those paniculata varieties can take all the sun you want to give them. I mean, like you said, Veda, full sun, full, full sun. It's perfect. And it's a great, it looks so pretty when you plant them in a row and just, just the, the mass of bloom of the, yeah, the white, the white is so cooling too when it's hot. And it's not just the limelight. I mean, there's, you know, limelight, little lime, there's Bobo Mm -hmm. that is even more of a dwarf. But the limelight that I know of is the tallest one. And then down from that is the little lime. And then, you know, even smaller than that is Bobo. And then there's the new Limelight Prime that came out. I don't out. have that one yet. Uh, it's yeah. supposed to have, you know, or it's supposed to start blooming a little earlier, more mm-hmm. vibrant blooms. I mean, it's just supposed to be an improvement of, of just Limelight. 
But then there's so many other ones though out there. There's Phantom, and then there's you know Vanilla Strawberry, and they're on down the line. They've come out yeah. with so many of these paniculata variety hydrangeas, and they're probably going to do it for years to come. Oh, yeah. You know, I haven't seen a lot of the strawberries, strawberry planted around because, you know, it does have that pink tinge to it. Really pretty. Mm-hmm. I think, um, <clears throat> and they, we haven't pushed those as hard as we did the limelights, but that that nice pink color in the sun would be great, too. Yeah, the, well, they still bloom white, but they, they fade more to a really pretty pink mm-hmm. uh, instead of just a brown, yeah. uh, which is, you know, a lot of people love that look. But it's, this is just the beginning. Kind of, it reminds me of, of hostas and everything else. I mean, there's always these new varieties coming out, it seems like, every year. And, th- and they're yes. doing this to the, to the hydrangeas. I know I'm having to cheat more times than not because there's so many varieties of things. And then I'm, I'm ordering. And, you know, you've got your four or five that are always the basics. And then you've got about 20 of all these, whether it's a hosta or a wajilia or an abelia. Yep. There's so many new varieties, so I'm looking, yep. going, oh, well, I do I need this one, and do I need that one? Do I need the lemon twist and this one? And then a lot of times you look, and they're all so similar. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, okay. It reminds me of hostas there again. Okay, you you're know? right, hostas again. Oh, and then speaking of the hydrangeas, because I want to um, – I was reading um, in a in a more a book from a more northern area mm. on hydrangeas because they have you know it's harder there. Well, what they do is they actually on purposely do not prune the seed heads off because that protects the new buds. So I'm like, well, what, let's start doing that because that's one of our things is they're just out there, not protected. And then we have that late freeze or the early freeze or however it goes, it knocks you the You've got to have a hard off. time convincing people not to cut those brown it. blooms off. I know, I know. But just think, y'all. I mean, that's such a smart idea. It's, it's giving it natural protection. And I'm sure we always prune them off here because it's not a huge deal like it is in the nor- more northern areas. Yeah, and we usually try to deadhead everything. Yeah, you know, we do. I mean, truly yeah, we, do. we do. We do. And, and that's never a really, if you think about it, a bad mm-hmm. thing because, A, you're getting rid of the brown-looking bloom. The beautiful winter but you're encouraging this plant (laughs) to bloom more because especially when it comes to annuals for example right hydrangeas you know i don't i'm giving you a hard time but (laughs) but on annuals you know once they once you you know all they want to do is bloom seed and they're done right right well if you keep them deadheaded they want to keep blooming so that's Mm -hmm. what we want now on things like perennials you know a lot of times we do that just for aesthetic reasons no big deal but like you said, Vader, when it comes to shrubs, we don't have to do it on our shrubs. True. Absolutely. Because yeah. it's not going to really affect the bloom one way mm-hmm. or the other. Yeah. If you yeah. think about right. it. Right. And if you're deadheading early, you feel like you're getting it to bloom a few more times. Maybe but, a little bit, yeah, but not enough but to really not, make a difference. Right. And I do say I like the seed or the flower heads left on the hydrangeas because it does give fall and winter interest really because then you've got those you have the sticks of the hydrangea and then you've got the nice little winter interest mop head balls or the paniculata um, cone shape cone shape and so that's just another something to look at and it's even (laughs) a place for beneficials to overwinter well let me tell you another thing you know with my uh hydrangeas in the back Mm -hmm. i was telling you about the limelights that i have against the the wall uh, clearly, it's a shady place for some varmint 
to dig up under there and lay in there like a like I, 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 I was I was watering these things before I went out of town because I had no idea if it was ever going to rain again. Right? right. Well, on one of these hydrangeas, I mean, the dirt was dug. I, I mean, it's like dirt was thrown out from under this hydrangea. Mm. And, I, you know, I got out and looked up under there and there's, there's a hole <laughs> there. So I got all the dirt and I pushed it back on the roots. I'm thinking it's got to be a dang armadillo. Yeah. Has to be. Um, because nothing else is going to dig out there like this in mm-hmm. my backyard because it's gated up. It's not like another dog or anything can't get back there. So I started reading about armadillos. And then some of the some of the information you read, Veda, they say, you know, put ammonia out there and put mothballs out there and put pine saw mm-hmm. out there. Ooh. And the more you read, though, you start reading these other articles, they're saying, why? You're wasting uh-huh. your time. That stuff doesn't work on yeah. armadillos, even though you would think it would right. because they have such a high sense of smell. But wouldn't that, like, trash your plant? Well, it can. Too? Now, they're yeah. just saying put it, like, in a container and put oh. it, like, in the four corners of the yard or not oh, right okay. around your plant. Okay. But I'm telling you, the more I read, they're like, yeah, no. go ahead, but you just waste your time. Yeah, I don't see how that could work. But, but, but. Almost every article I did read, uh, you know, the, the Mole Max or the Molgo that we sell for moles and voles, uh, which is nothing more than castor oil, they say that they really hate castor oil. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you're having an armadillo problem and, and hadn't seen any more damage, I looked when I got back, um, you know, I, I was ready to, to nuke my backyard with castor oil. <laughs> and whether that's a granulated product that you can buy called Mole Max that you put out dry and water in, or whether it's the liquid version that you hook to your hose called Mogo that you just spray out there. Well, you know, out of all the reading, because I do like you do, every time I think I see a new article or some new uh, innovation or new uh, information (coughs) on how to repel all these critters, there's never, never, never anything new. But one thing's consistent is it's that mole max. Which is the castor, the castor oil. oil. Yeah. Any, anything in that range, that's the one that I consistently read about, that that's what they've had the most res- the best results, even though we still have to try different things through the year so they don't get used to one thing. But, I mean, I read human hair. I read, like I said, pine saw, <laughs> mothballs, ammonia. Uh, I mean, it, cayenne pepper. Uh-huh. I mean, I mean, they were listing all these things. And then I went on this official, you know, like uh, web page <laughs> and it was like, and they mentioned all those, but they're mm-hmm. like, don't waste your time. It's not going to work. Yeah. But we've become so desperate at mm-hmm. sometimes to get rid of these varmints that we'll try anything. Right. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not saying they never have worked and if they work great, have no problem with it. But nine times out of ten, a lot of these homemade remedies, when it comes to repellents, just doesn't do the job. Oh, yeah, you know? like um, <clears throat> collecting old bugs, dead bugs, and doing them in the blender. Yeah. And then pouring on your plant, and then the, the other insects are going to think it's a bad place <clears throat> to be because they can smell dead bugs on their plant. Does I don't even. I think that was just like a, a phase for a while. Well, but I, don't I guarantee think I it, it anymore. I guarantee you, somebody tried it though. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was recommended, yeah. and um, well, I well, can first imagine. Of all, don't ever use of, that blender yeah, again. But you, yeah, that's true. But and today we're going out and collecting insects. But I was also glad that I noticed this, and the only reason I noticed it because I was on my hands and knees getting a water hose up <laughs> under the shrub. 
Because honestly, if I hadn't, uh-huh. I mean, it was like one one whole half side of it was dug up. So it would have been gone. Oh, it, it could have. Yeah. I mean, the roots were exposed and everything else. So, I, you know, like I said, I got all that stuff and pushed it back and kind of leveled everything back off and really soaked it in. But, uh, I mean, it, I might not have even ever seen yeah. that if I hadn't been on my hands and knees sticking a water hose Boy, up under there. You know, that's the whole, one of the things mm. about gardening is you really got to be one with your garden. And you are being one, one under the bush. All right, we're going to head to a break. Y'all can give us a call at 260-5926 or post a question on our Facebook Live page. <coughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We have someone that said has sent us a text. It's Pam. Thank you. Um, she was watching a video mm-hmm. from an, from the Northwest, and a lady had a beautiful line of sweet romance lavender. Up in the Northwest. Yeah, in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. So, of course, that's not a lavender that we plant here. Not here but, in the Mid-South. Yeah. But we do plant uh, like phenomenal and, and good sensational and, and good, yeah, Goodwin's Creek. I mean, there are lavenders that you can definitely grow around here under the right conditions. Mm-hmm. Containers too, for sure. But the principle is the same. Like like uh, Pam was saying, she cut it back and said it would flush back with new blooms. So yeah, that'll will it do that here? And it will do that here. You know, just cut it back and it'll flush back out. Um, Cutting it back now would probably not later than now, yeah. I would say, because you've got to have time for it to flush and then rebloom. Because yeah. even though we're at the beginning of August, all of a sudden that, wait, we've got all of August, all of September, mm-hmm. almost all of October mm-hmm. to still to still have the warm season gardening. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I'd definitely cut it back. Yeah, and you know, people scratch their heads when they're trying to grow lavender. And you know, it comes down to, you know, we say this about so many things. But if you're going to ever have perfect drainage, you need it for lavenders. Mm-hmm. And that's really what typically kills the lavender around here is the is the excessive moisture or inadequate drainage. Uh, now, there are some, you know, I think that do better here in our heat or, or the Mid-South with the humidity and so forth. And you mentioned two of them, Veda, uh, Phenomenal and I believe it was Sensational. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same people that bred Phenomenal uh, just came out with this new cultivar called Sensational. But... Um, you know, whether you're trying to grow, you know, some of the Spanish lavenders, the English lavenders, the hybrids, whatever, the biggest thing to take away from that is make sure that you have really good drainage. And, and that's the key try, when you're trying to grow lavender. Because I've talked to so many people that have tried their best and they just can't grow it. Uh, but it all comes down to, I promise you, it comes down to the water. Yeah, it does. The watering, yep. the, drain, the drainage, yep. the... Well, like, if I'm going to do a bed of lavender or a row of lavender, I'm going to use a product called Enlighten or Soil Perfector. As I think y'all's is Soil Perfector. Ours is called Enlighten, but it's the same mm-hmm. thing. And you mix that in with your clay soil, um, and that's going to help everything drain so much quicker. And then, of course, have the bed raised some. So when I do all that, then the watering is the thing next. Yeah, you can water all you want, and it's going to drain away. That's the big thing. It will not tolerate wet feet whatsoever. It hates wet feet. What about its roots? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still enamored that we call the roots the feet. Wet feet. <laughs> well, and speaking of wet feet, uh, when I was in Nashville, I was helping my daughter move, and her roommate— uh, had these two beautiful dumb cane houseplants, uh-huh. uh, about four foot tall, big leaves on them. 
Uh, and then she had, she's only had them for like three weeks. Ah. And she said, um, you know, Mr. Kenneth, can you please take a look at these and tell me what's going on? And, you know, the tips of the leaves were already burning, and mm-hmm. it's definitely a water-related problem. And you look at the pots, and the pots were absolutely beautiful that these house plants were in, and they absolutely had no drainage oh, okay. whatsoever. And I explained it to her. I said, you know, here we are with these two beautiful house plants. You've got them indoors here. They were getting plenty of light, so forth. I said, it's going to be almost impossible for you to grow these in these great-looking containers oh. because it has no drainage. And what that means is, how do you know how much to water, okay? Mm-hmm. Because the water that you put in there, the excessive moisture is going to the bottom of the pot. That's yeah. what I explained to her. And I said, and it has nowhere to go. So it's sitting there at the bottom of the pot. And it's going to keep the bottom portion of the, of the soil entirely too wet, and then you start, okay, well, I don't want to keep this thing too wet. Then you don't water enough. Mm-hmm. You know, so I said either you need to get someone to drill holes in these containers or you need to just change the containers out. I don't mind if you get a smaller pot and set it inside yeah. this pot. But, Veda, it was just a classic example of someone trying to grow houseplants in these mm-hmm. great-looking containers that absolutely have no drainage whatsoever. Yeah. Now, and when I said drill the holes, these were like ceramic. These were almost a, not really porcelain, but it was a real pretty pot. And it would almost be impossible to drill a hole in without breaking them. Yeah, I got you. So, so she should just take them out, um, oh, yeah. switch the dirt out of oh, the yes. container. Change um, the container. Because those dumb, <clears throat> dumb canes or Diffenbachias are so... So picky. They don't like, they can actually go much drier than we think. And, you know, they're called dumb cane because uh, if you chew on it, then it numbs your tongue. You start talking funny. Yeah, that's what the rat (laughs) told me anyway. But we do see that a lot, too. You know, we're talking about, you know, the drainage on the lavender. I mean, so many things have to, there's not many things that can put up with excessive moisture. That's true. And then the other thing I was going to tell you about was almost case to point. Uh, when I was at another, I went out of town, I was down in central Mississippi, uh, and my, uh, some of my in-laws, one of them had these tomato plants growing in these big plastic pots, okay? Mm-hmm. Because his garden plot, what he used to do as a garden plot, they're going to actually have a pool installed there <laughs> within the next week or two, okay? Right. So he wanted tomatoes, so he put them in containers. Well, he said, he asked me, he said, can you take a look at my tomatoes and kind of give me an idea of what you think I'm doing wrong? Well, I walk up there and you had these beautiful containers, these tomatoes coming up. They were kind of stringy looking, had a few tomatoes on it. Well, of course, they had blight all over them. OK, mm. but the first thing that stood out was two things, Veda. One is he had brand new, fresh shavings, wood shavings, oh. about five inches oh. deep on top of the soil. He's, he's like, oh, well, I wanted to put these in there to hold the moisture in. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> well, you have the right idea, but you never want to use just raw wood as a top dressing around anything. So it was starving the oh, plant Oh, it was from sucking the, the nitrogen right out of the soil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then the second mistake was, he said, and also to keep me from using so much soil, because these were probably like 15-gallon containers, mm-hmm. I filled half of it up with rock. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then you got the other top half with soil. And, and he's like, well, because I know that will improve the drainage. Well, yes, it will improve the drainage. But like, remember how Jim would always mm-hmm. say, if you put half, if you fill that container up halfway with rock, yeah. okay, well, the wettest part of that soil is going to be at the bottom of the soil. Well, you've raised the soil level up halfway up on the pot. Right. right. So these so. roots were probably just drowning, even though he had half a container of rock mm-hmm. in these uh, in these pots. 
So I was like, it's going to be impossible. I said, it's impossible for you to be successful growing anything, especially these tomatoes, in these containers the way you're doing it. Yeah. That's I true. Mean, but so, think about it. Because he had probably grown them in the ground all the time. He has. Had wonderful success. That's why a lot of people don't like to grow in containers because it's a total different growing. And if <coughs> if they've grown in the, <coughs> yeah, that's what it is. If they've grown <coughs> in the ground and then they try to switch to containers, they have a hard time. Well, you would think, though, just it would be easier mm-hmm. to grow them in containers. You can get away with excessive moisture mm-hmm. because, you know, things usually drain better in containers if yeah. they got drainage holes. But he had put so much rock in there mm-hmm. and thinking it was, you know, hey, no big deal. I'll just fill this thing half up with rock. I don't have to fill it up all the way up with potting soil, right? And then the four or five inches of these wood shavings, raw wood shavings. Now, if they'd been composted down, not a problem. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you surely don't need to put that much rock uh, in these containers, a little half an inch on the bottom, an inch on the bottom, which you probably don't even need that. That would be absolutely fine. And like I said, using composted wood shavings, Veda, but he was just scratching his head. He's like, I don't just, I don't get it. Yeah. You know, what am I doing wrong? I still, still have got to do more experiments with this rock to soil ratio in the container, or not the ratio. I still don't understand how that the soil drains all the way to the rock surface and then it doesn't drain down through the well, rock. Well, it, it does. But like Jim would say, I mean, the wettest part of that soil is going to be at the bottom soil level. I mean, mm-hmm. that's where, I mean, and yes, you're going to have excessive, excessive moisture run on down through the rock. But you're, you're, you're raising the water table, though. Mm-hmm. So the wettest part of that soil is going to be up instead of down so, but it, oh so we're saying there's no drainage holes there's just the gravel no i mean this thing still had drainage yeah see i still don't get that i got experience but it, it's kind of like jim said backwards. if you get a sponge mm-hmm. you know and fill it with water yeah and you turn it in you know up uh-huh. um the wettest part of that sponge is going to be at the bottom of the sponge right. okay but it doesn't have any gravel to drain through because the sponge is on a flat surface well no if you even hold it up yeah. in the air the still the wettest part is going mm-hmm. to be at the bottom of the sponge right. i mean it's just yeah. it's just yeah. where it's, it's right. going to hold the most moisture yeah. is going to be in the bottom but right there how long See, well, long I, enough know, long enough to get some root damage it's like every time we talk about this i i have the vision of how i uh, pulled plants out of this uh, big rock wall container. It had rocks and pea gravel and dirt in it. And when I pulled it out, there was all these long roots all mixed in the pea gravel. Well, you, you don't need to raise the soil level up halfway in that container. That you do not need to do. No. We'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We're in our second hour. That first hour just went on by. Flew by, my dear. So, you know, the Great Tomato Contest, of course, I was going to be a judge. I was so excited, too. I really was. And then kind of lost my taste. Yes, you did because of COVID. That thing. And, um, you and I got it at it the was, same time, actually. Yeah. But it was just nice to sit around and do nothing at the house. Yeah, but <laughs> lost your taste, couldn't taste the good old tomatoes, so you couldn't make it to the tomato contest to be a judge this year. Right. So but I heard that uh, Cherokee Purple was the— Was uh, like a really good one, a really good winner. 
that won the whole thing. But yeah, um, let's see, where is it? Okay, so we've got that was um, Ted Addison. He got Best in Show, the Heirloom Cherokee Purple. Mm-hmm. He he hit up another a uh, number of categories. Mm. Um, then let's see. So that was Best to Show, the heaviest tomato. That was the brandy wine. Another heirloom. Yeah, yeah. Ted Addison. Um, Val Tingley from Collierville Victory Garden. She got the um, second place, which was $50. What was that for? Cherokee purple weight, one pound, five ounces. Cherry tomatoes, first place, Carrie Rogers. And it was a sunrise bumblebee. (laughs) Never heard of that. I haven't either. That one sounds good. Second place for the cherry tomatoes, Ted Addison, black cherry. Have you heard of the black mm-hmm. cherry tomato? Oh, yeah. Of course, there's all of those black cherry flavors, but that's not a cherry tomato flavor. No, there's, that's a, a, <laughs> there's a black cherry. I yeah. haven't had that one. Charles uh, Long did Sun Gold. Yeah. And then the slicing tomato, is uh, it was cherub. And then first place for the medium rare. To, no, the tomato was called medium rare, yeah. Ted Addison. Wow. Goliath. <coughs> Mm-hmm. Was one that won Lemon Boy. Okay, mm-hmm. there's another one. Uh, oh, Abigail. Tomato called Abigail. Never heard of that. Tie between Abigail and Better Boy. I'm making sure this wasn't a, a lady's name. Yeah. <laughs> there's so know, many. Um, look, yeah. There's so many tomatoes out there. Yeah, uh, Ted Addison won an heirloom. There's the Arkansas Traveler won something. Which I like that tomato. Yeah. Because I've always heard with Arkansas Traveler. It uh, produces uh, better than some of the other tomatoes, even in the high heat. Okay. You know, we always get mm-hmm. tomatoes, it seems like, you know, late spring, early summer. Yeah. Then when it starts to get really hot, it's hard for these tomatoes to pollinate. So you almost have to just kind of hang around, get a few tomatoes until it starts to cool mm-hmm. off again late summer, early fall. Then you start getting another yield. But I've heard that Arkansas Traveler, uh, you actually get these decent yields even in the heat of the mm-hmm. summer. That's why a lot of people grow those in particular. And then, of course, the heirlooms. You mentioned the brandy wine and the yeah. Cherokee purple. You know, we grow the heirlooms really more for the taste than anything. That's true. You That's know, so I mean, true. It just because they're not hybrids. They've never changed. They're original to what they were 100 years ago. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we do grow the hybrids because a lot of times they're more disease-resistant and so forth. So, I kind of like a combination of all of them, to be well, honest with you. Remember when I was telling, I think it might have been two weeks or so ago, when I was had watched a movie, or I don't remember where it was, but they were these, uh, the one was like, you know, how neighbors go and hang out in each other's yard, and you grow this, and how'd you grow that, and all that. So this one man stand there with uh, talking, and he's got all these uh, great tomatoes in his bucket. Mm. And the other lady says... Uh, she goes, I didn't, he goes, what about your tomatoes? She goes, I didn't get to grow this year because I needed from Monsanto the sequence code to be able to activate the seeds to grow them. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I used heirloom. Yeah. So he's standing there with all his heirloom tomatoes, even though in the past when I was first getting in this, well, no, about 15 or 20 years ago, maybe people were saying, oh, don't do heirloom disease problems and this problems with the heirloom don't 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 but then in the end the heirloom's the one you're eating yeah exactly <laughs> i mean and, and like i said people grow heirlooms because of the the wonderful flavor mm-hmm. that we get from them veda and yeah they are a little more susceptible but if you stay on top of it and spraying you know as needed if needed whether it's in insects or disease 
you can have these beautiful, wonderful heirloom tomatoes. Don't be afraid to grow an heirloom. You know, uh, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and, you know, um, if your tomatoes have been able to make it or, or if you have been able to help them make it mm. through this intense heat, you'll get some more blooming and some more tomatoes <clears throat> if, you, if, it can, if your plant can just make it through. But then usually by the time it starts getting its tomatoes. It's about, time to yank them up yeah. and put in the fall garden. Right. You know? About the time they get <clears throat> to a point to where they're ready to be harvested, then we're really cold. <laughs> and, and so and what do you do, Betty? So you've got your little garden plot out there, and you've got all your summer vegetables in there, your eggplant, the peppers, the squash, the tomatoes on down the line. And you're getting, you know, a yield off of those. Even now, you still are. But when it starts getting almost time to put your fall vegetables in, at some mm-hmm. point, you got to go in there and pull all those things yeah. up, okay? Pull them all up, knock the dirt off of it, get everything raked smooth again. Mm-hmm. And then do you go ahead and add a little more compost? Do you add a little more fertilizer at that point? Or do you just wait until the beginning of the every year to do that? Boy, you know? I, I do when I'm removing things mm-hmm. and prepping the soil because you want everything ready. For, the a, for a new crop. Start, yeah, the fertilizer to start working down, the compost, start working down into the soil. And you always need to amend it because look what it all took out of your soil to grow. And the only thing that you probably don't need to add you know, twice a year, spring mm-hmm. and fall, is maybe the lime, you know. But oh, other than yeah. that, adding the compost back into your soil, uh, maybe not as much, but mm-hmm. add some compost in there. And I don't care which one it is. They're all yeah. good. And then adding some fertilizer or some garden mm-hmm. tone or something like that back in there, uh, you know, work it in, rake everything smooth. Now you're ready to come back and plant your fall garden. Yeah. And whether you're putting transplants in there, cabbage, lettuce, you know, whatever, or whether you're putting seed in there, makes no difference. You still want to um, re-amend that soil. Uh, we, we tell people at least once, but if I'm doing two crops, I'm going to mm-hmm. do it two times. Yeah, and you had mentioned the lime, too, and that was something that mm. I seem to have never put in my garden, <clears throat> but had, you know, pretty good results. But I think that's something you should really check because that's a very important part. You have to be aware, and you're right. I mean, a lot of people never, ever think of it. And it's not like your plants won't grow, even if the soil is too yeah. acidic. But they might not just be doing to the best They're of their ability. They're not going to be. They yeah. never can be because acidic soil is locking up all the nutrients. I don't care how much mm-hmm. you feed your garden. It's not doing you a whole lot of good. You put that lime in there to raise that pH where the soil can release those nutrients. Yeah. I mean, case to point, you know, we see a lot of blossom end rot. Mm-hmm. You know, that's from a lack of calcium. Well, acidic soil locks up the calcium, okay? Yeah. So it could be just <laughs> a matter of having the soil too acidic, not putting lime down yeah. enough or ever, yeah. and you're getting blossom end rot on the bottom of your tomatoes. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. So always check to see if you have lime. Um, but see, the way you can check that is you just have a pH meter or bring soil into like a garden center that <clears throat> has a pH meter. And that's the easiest way to find Easy. out if you have need lime because it's just uh, on the scale from what is it on the thing? Zero to 10 and then seven's your lime. Yes, well, seven's neutral. Anything below seven is acidic. But typically for most things around here, that want the soil uh, either, you know, close to neutral or more alkaline is anywhere really from 6 to, 6.2 to 6.8. 6.5 being mm-hmm. ideal for a vegetable garden, okay? 6.5, 6, 6, not a problem. Uh, and naturally, not overnight, but naturally over time, our soil turns acidic. So that's why we're constantly, well, I say constantly, every two to three years. On a mm-hmm. vegetable garden, I'm liking to do it every year. 
adding lime just to keep that pH up where it needs to be. Because like I said, naturally it's turning acidic on yeah. you. And you can get soil that's just uh, pretty darn acidic. You don't think about it. You don't know it unless you have a test run. You're trying to grow these vegetables. And they're, like you said a while ago, Veda, they're just never going to be uh, to the, you know, the tier that they could mm-hmm. be. Yeah. Say not to the tomato contest winning tier. <laughs> it could have just been lime that you needed this year. Hey, that rhymed pretty good. Yeah, I it? like that. I, yeah. I caught that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So there is the fast acting lime that you can use to act fastly. And um, then there's the regular lime that we've used forever and ever that if you're wanting something to happen next year, you should put it down <clears throat> this year. To yeah. get it to start activating. But why not just go with the fast lime every time? I mean, I like it because it, you know, instead of taking months to break mm-hmm. down and alter your pH, you can do it in a matter of weeks. Uh, and it's just, you know, fast lime is one of those things where it's been around quite a while, but a lot of people have never heard of fast lime, never don't know what it mm-hmm. is, don't know what it does. It's just, it's lime that just breaks down faster. It alters the pH, like I said, in a matter of weeks instead of a matter of months. But those things, you know, getting just getting ready, we're thinking ahead to the fall garden. When you pull all that stuff up from your summer garden, you do want to make sure that your pH is up where it needs to be, like I said, around six and a half. You do want to add a little more compost to really re-amend your soil and then add some good nutrient value other than the compost like the garden tone or some of these fertilizers. And I'm telling you, you're good to go with your fall garden. It's all about the base, isn't it? <laughs> Hey, that's a song, too. I mean, the base of the soul, not the base of an instrument. <laughs> oh, or the soul base, the there pH, we go, right? The ba- so, um, well, let's see. Kathy Balsam just uh, texted in and said, great that we're live this morning. So yeah. thank you for you being live Thanks, and up with yes, us this ma'am. morning. Yeah, we've been going the last couple of weeks. Like I yes. said, week, week before last, we both had COVID. And then, um, you know, last weekend, I was, of course, out you of town. In yeah. No, 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 just... uh, But why am I putting you in Florida? Every time I keep saying you're in Florida. I was all over the place, baby. That must be why. Okay, y'all, give us a call, 260-5926, or post some questions on Facebook Live. And when we get back, i got to tell you the June bug story. Not the Japanese beetle story, but the June June bug bug. story. We'll be back. Welcome back. And so, not uh, Japanese beetles, but June bugs. June bugs. You know the little, you go out there at night, you got your, you open your back door, you know, you got your light on right there, and these little brown beetles are just slapping you Uh in the face, running into the wall, just clumsy as they can be, right? Oh, June (laughs) bugs. The story, this happened many years ago, Veda. It was me and my wife and uh, my son and my daughter were in the back seat, and this is when they were younger. And it was Father's Day, actually. Mm -hmm. And we were going uh, late in the afternoon, going to get a bite to eat. And the sun was just going down. Well, according to the officer, (laughs) I didn't come to a complete stop at the stop sign, right? (laughs) So I came to the stop sign. In my opinion, I came to a complete stop, and I took a right-hand turn. Well, I go down. I'm about 40 yards away from where I... Didn't Jan or Jamie, the master gardener, a retired police officer? It wasn't Jamie. I would have recognized that, okay? Okay. So I took a right there, and I was going down about 40 or 50 yards from where I took the right, and the blue lights were behind me. So I'm pulling, (laughs) I'm like, what in the heck is this all about? Well, he's got his blue lights on. He's also got his spotlights on, okay? So he gets out, and he walks to the front of his car, and I get out, and I walk to the front of his car, and I'm like, uh, yes, sir, officer? He's like, well, you didn't come to a complete stop at that stop. So I'm like, well, that's news to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I apologize. I, I really thought I did. Well, about that time, with all the lights that were uh-huh. on, these June bugs 
started by the thousands, started just pelting the cars, us, what? the lights, because it's the lights. That, oh, he was. A <laughs> and it freaked this guy out. I mean, evidently, this guy did not like bugs. And he was like, okay, sir, you have a great Father's Day. I'll see you later. Be careful. And he was gone, I'm telling you. So in this case, the June bugs saved me this from getting sure a ticket. Did. You know? So the story, the moral of this story is keep a box of June bugs in your car. Yeah, or have some strong lights around you that attract That's them. That's so funny. Okay, but I mean, you, you could later. hear these things pelting. I mean, I was, but it was kind of freaked me out, yeah, too, to be yeah. honest with you. But I was like... I know what they are. It's not bothering mm-hmm. me, but it's clearly bothering <laughs> this guy. And he could not wait, I'm telling you, to get back in he his car. He was probably in the car going, oh, it's in his collar and his bulletproof vest. And, you know, just, oh, and, get him out. And the June bugs aren't, you know, they're to me, they're very benign when it mm-hmm. comes to June bugs. Nothing like the Japanese beetles that yeah. we go through every year because they eat everything up. Now, June bugs can eat, mm-hmm. but it's typically the grubs that they come from that do the, the damage. Uh, and it makes you think, you know, with all the June bugs that are out there, they're coming from grubs in our lawns. And then all the Japanese beetles that we have now, mm-hmm. they're coming from grubs also in our lawns. All of a sudden, we've got so many more grubs out there. And that can bring in moles and, mm-hmm. you know, and armadillos and raccoons and everything else. But it also can do some damage to your lawn. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think that's why, you know, we're going to start seeing, if we hadn't already have, uh, really more grub damage to lawns, I think, than we ever have just by default because we've got so many more grubs out there. Oh, boy. And so now the grubs are up a little bit higher in the uh, soil level, right? Yeah, because, you know, they, they go, they dig deep and then they come back up. You yeah, know, they're close roots. to the surface now. So now is a good time to put down your grub killer because it can actually reach the grub. You most definitely can. And they say, you know, really through even September, Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, they'll start going a little deeper. But, you know, and if you start seeing these little brown patches out there and you walk over there and you can just kind of pull the grass right out of the ground uh, and then you dig a hole in there and you have, you know, a number, uh, a large number of grubs in a small area, you know, you've got a grub mm-hmm. problem. And like you just said, Veda, putting down the grub killers, whether it's liquid or whether it's granulated, uh, is the best way to get rid of them. You'll never get rid of all of them. But you can get them down to acceptable levels to where they're not posing a problem to your lawn. But I tell you, uh, I'll never say a bad thing about June bugs because they did pull me out of (laughs) that one. Well, (laughs) I think I have told you this one, but went out of town for Christmas. Well, it starts with, um, you know, here we keep houseplants outside almost till thanksgiving sometimes you can up through december because Mm -hmm. it's not that cold so i had um a chefalera and this nice clay pot sitting outside the front door under the lights so you know the jap or the um june bugs had uh, laid eggs into the the soil there for the next season well, it was getting time to go. It might have been Thanksgiving. That you'd pulled them back inside. Yeah, pulled them back inside. <laughs> Went to Texas for the holiday. Came back. You know, turn on the lights. And don't see tell me there on. were June bugs. Well, there was all <laughs> these weird squiggly lines in my carpet. They just squiggled all around. And I'm like, ooh, what is that? So I get over there. And I'm tracing the lines back to the container. So apparently the, the June bugs hatched and got into the carpet and they were just making their way through the carpet. Tunneling their way through yes. there. I felt so bad for the June bugs. 
I did. The poor things, they just were stuck in the house, digging in the carpet, trying to find light. Did you ever find, you know? I don't know where they went. So, I know? mean, well, that's another thing. Anytime we bring an outdoor plant indoors, invariably we're bringing stuff in mm-hmm. with it. You might not know it, yeah. but you are. Now, you know, a lot of times when we start seeing a lot of damage and fungus gnats and June bugs mm-hmm. like you're talking about, you know, we have to do something about it, but... You know, that's why we always say, and we'll get into this in the fall, how we always wash our plants down and typically give them a good spray before we bring them inside. Yeah, and since this was in the soil. You would have never seen that. I would, yeah, I don't, because <clears throat> I've never really treated the soil to bring house plants in. Um, but the thing is, is that's really rare. Because no, for no. my entire life, my mother house plants inside, outside, and me too. And, and so it's almost like don't not bring a plant inside because you think you're going to get bugs because it's rare on something like that well to that extent but Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know and we talk about this every fall yeah i mean you know i always like to wash mine down and and typically give them a good spray with neem oil or whatever before i bring them inside just knowing that i'm going to bring in some insects if i don't but you can do all that but if you still overwater your house plants indoors you know you're going to get what they call fungus gnats yeah. And people get those now, Veda, and it's these just little gnats that fly around. They're more of a nuisance than anything, but you surely don't want them in the house. I mean, they're, they're just a nuisance. And you've got these things, too. Now, we've got them is are the mosquito beds, yeah. uh, which is a BT product, a completely natural product that you can sprinkle on the soil, water it in, and it will get rid of those fungus gnats. But the biggest things uh, with is on the fungus gnats, and we tell people you can kill them, but you got to cut back on the water, or you yeah. got to change the type of soil that mm-hmm. these plants are in. Because either the soil is, is holding way too much moisture, or you're watering way too mm-hmm. much, one or the other. But uh, yeah, fungus gnats are not something that you just want around. It's almost like a little bitty fruit fly, just enough to give you know just a pest. You. And the thing is, it's amazing where they can be. We have by the register, like everybody had by the register, trash can, and this is like a taller one. And someone had thrown away some wet soil. Oh, sure. But it was before the trash bag was in there. Yeah. So we couldn't figure out where these gnats kept coming from because we definitely don't own over water. Yeah, so it was um, it, it was, was from the wet soil that was, was under the bag. Yes, yes, and just never could get rid of the gnats. And finally, when we found that, cleaned it out and all of that, no gnats. Yeah. But the places they can be. But the mosquito bits is just an easy way to get rid of those things. Now, there's BT liquid that you yeah. can dilute and drench the soil with, but I like just sprinkling the bits in there. Uh, and invariably, it seems like, you know, we'll get a, a house plant that is in the wrong type of soil and it holds too much water, or invariably, mm-hmm. we're just overwatering. I mean, it's not hard to do. Yeah. And, it, and there again, if it stays that way, though, you are going to get these little fungus, gnat, fungus gnats, and that's just an easy way to get yeah. rid of them. Very easy. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad they came up with those, the bits, because it's kind of like the, the donuts, but they're crumpled. But, but they're got they're a little thicker, it seems like, so they don't break down as fast. Well, and they're really sold as a mosquito larva killer, where you can, you know, kind of sprinkle these in standing water, whether it's a pond or pool or, you know, a bird bath or whatever, and it kills the mosquito larva. Uh, and that's the main reason we sell them, but... It also has fungus gnats on the label, so that's just a bonus. Mm-hmm. If you've got uh, problems with fungus gnats, you can use that same product that's really more used for mosquito larvae, 
and kill the fungus gnats also. Love it. I'm glad they were able to add that to the label. Yeah. You know, sometimes there's nowadays I find out there's things that work, but they just can't put them on the label. Yeah. And, but BT is completely organic. I mean, it's, it's all natural, uh, very safe to use, right around me, you, the dog, the cat, and everybody else. So, yeah. You know, but still, no one wants fungus gnats in their house. I don't. Right. So now you know, um, just check for places that are moist because that's what, and you know, in your soil, like we were saying, in containers and all, um, sometimes you just take the plant out, shake a lot of the soil mm-hmm. off because mm-hmm. it's just too wet and holds moisture. Yeah. Shake that off. Then put it in, like we sell indoor <laughs> houseplant soil mix. And that just seems to drain perfectly well, but hold moisture just long enough to quit with a lot of the problems. Yep. All right, we're going to run off to a break. When we get back, we're going to go to David and see what he's got going on in his Mid-South Garden. Good morning, Rick. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So let's see. Let's go to David and see what you've got going on in your yard. Good morning, David. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody? Hey, David. Doing great, buddy. Hadn't heard from you in a minute. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing as we say. I'm holding on. I'm there you go. On. There you go, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 but I've been listening. I've just been missing my favorite curmudgeon, so I did ask about him. Mm-hmm. Um, where was he today? So I understand he's taking a little bit of break off. So. Yeah, he was having, he had a uh, Jim, talking about Jim Crowder, had some health problems, uh, and he's trying to make sure he takes care of himself before anything else, David, and we surely are going with that, no doubt. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Hang in there, Jim. That's right. Um, so this is what I did. I, you know, I got my real more, so I, I, took, <laughs> I brought that out. Yeah. And cut it low. Yeah. And look real good and i said you know what that's fine it's gonna rain yeah that was a month ago yes (laughs) (laughs) and so now we get it rain but man you don't want to see my lawn the way it looks before it's it's starting to look green again now Mm -hmm. so how how much damage did i do is my question no no damage dave um i mean well there was damage done but it was hopefully just superficial and i hear where you're coming from you know you never really want to scalp your lawn uh in the summer months a lot of times we can get away with it uh especially you know if we're keeping it water or we get the timely rains that we usually get yeah now like you said you cut your lawn short didn't get rain for you know six weeks um so the grass i mean it definitely suffered and it even went semi-dormant kind of like my backyard did now mine wasn't as short as yours but it kind of just sat there and it started looking a brownie yellow, if you will. But I've noticed already after the rain that we got that it's starting starting to green up. So yeah. as far as the long-term health of your lawn, David, you're going to be absolutely fine. It's just unfortunate for the last month or so that it just hasn't looked the way that I know you like it to look. So it's been more superficial than anything. Yeah, when I, when I say I cut it short, I, I normally don't cut it like it, it's not – Oh, it's abnormal, right? But what 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 it was was that I said, well, I'm going to cut it this way, and I know it's going to rain, so yeah. I just cut it with my electric mower yeah. higher once it rains. You know that kind of thing. Right. So I actually like the way my lawn looks with the re- after the real mower cut than with the even the electric lawn mower that right. I have. Right. But, but good. 
Okay, so we cut the tree down, mm. and I was wondering, um, what am I to expect now that I, you know, they, you know, they left the, what do you call it? The, well, they they um, grinded it too. They ground the stone and all of that. So, so what should I do? Um, I think the guy said, you know, you wanted to rain. Well, of course, it didn't rain <laughs> again. Again, so we cut it before it rained. So, yeah. so what do you what what do you guys think I should do in in, in regards to the hole to, to to get that back to normal? That's right. I mean, typically, David, people will get a rake and they'll try to rake out and rake away as much of the debris as they can. You know, just the raw wood, the sawdust, if you will. Uh, you can put it in a compost pile or you can, uh, you know, let it compost down and use it as compost. But you don't want to use the raw wood as a mulch or anything else until it's been composted down. Or just put it in a leaf bag and put it on the curb and let somebody pick it up. But you want to try to remove as much of that debris as you can. Now, then you can come back, you know, and you can fill in the hole with just some uh, compost or yeah. topsoil, any type of just soil. And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming eventually you want your grass to grow back over where this tree trunk was, correct? I do. Yes, right. Yeah, and, and Dave, you have Bermuda or Zoysia out there? Um, I couldn't tell you that if my okay. life depends. Okay, it doesn't matter. Uh, but, yeah, and just know that when you fill in the hole, and, Betty, you'll back me up on this, you still can get a little sinkage, if yeah. you will, uh, maybe even next year. So then you'll have to just come back in, even if you've got new sod or new grass on top of it, and add a little bit more soil to it. But the biggest thing, Dave, is just clean it up, rake all that debris out of there, get the sawdust out, and come back and just fill the hole and with sand or soil, topsoil, compost. Any of those are fine, and get it just as level as you can. And then come back and either reseed that area, resod that area, or let your grass just naturally grow back over that area. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and I can pick up the sod from your company. Yeah, or- I mean most of your independent garden centers. I mean you can find sod this time of year, David, and it usually comes in either Bermuda or Zoysia. Uh, and to me, sod is just the easiest way to do it because overnight. You know, you've got your lawn back. Yeah, uh, it is so much easier, especially just right lay now. lay that side down. And you're not doing a whole lot, so the expense isn't horrible Yeah, either. and you can, because you don't need a whole lot of sod. I mean, you can just lay a few pieces down, and they'll never know there was a tree there. Okay, cool, cool. Well, they did a good job. Some A little bit of damage to the, to the lawn, but of that, course. that's not even comparable to what it would have been if the tree fell on, on the house. Exactly, so, exactly. You know, we're happy. One other thing, and I'll let you guys go. Sure. Um, I th- I gotta tell you guys, if hell is this hot, I need to I need to tighten up on church. <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> it is intense, that's for sure. David, yeah. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> That'll give yeah. you incentive, won't it? Hey, Dave, it was really good to hear from you, brother. And take care of yourself. And remember, uh, when you say a prayer, say one for me also. <laughs> I do that. All right. Yeah, I have a good. One. Thanks, Thank you, Dave. Dave. I'm agreeing with him. If hell is this hot, look, I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> Say something nice. Yeah, but it's but it, like I said, it's not uncommon. You know, you add that soil to the hole, mm-hmm. get it as kind of pack it in there, uh, get that sod back on top or seed, or like I said, let it naturally grow back over. But it's not uncommon for that area where they ground mm-hmm. the stump for even two or three years to get a little sinkage. Yeah. Uh, in I that do. area. It, you know, when I was a lot younger and running out through the pastures and through the woods or up to grandmother's house, and there was this one area where it was. That you in, would always trip yeah, and flip trip and right there. Yeah, trip and fall, you know, indention. And since I was younger, the indention was more fun. 
you know, because you could actually run down and run back up it. I remember that. But as I got older, I thought, well, how silly was that for them to take the tree down but not fill it back up? They probably did. Exactly. You know, know, now look back. Oh, Also, that's where uh, those ground wasps learn to live, too, because, of course, one time I went through there, and then I remember screaming all the way back to grandmother's house, which (laughs) is those wasps following me but so that was just all the roots and the trunk and everything composting down so much that it caused it to sink so then therefore you would just add soil well or or sand and i I was going to make the point of that i don't mind i like to use soil when i'm filling up the hole Mm -hmm. and you know usually i just get a cheap bag of soil fill it in like i said get it smooth put that sod back on top and i want my sod that i lay down to be the same level as my grass that's already there okay Mm -hmm. now if i start getting a little sinkage next year uh, then I usually come back with a top dressing of sand yeah. and let the kind of grass just kind of grow back over that, if you will. I don't like to use a heavy soil on top of the side mm-hmm. if it's got a little impression or, yeah. or depression, if you will. Right. Uh, I'd rather use sand at that point, but initially I'm just using soil, like yeah. you said. Yeah, and like on Bermuda, it's more forgiving. You it know, is. you can add a little more. You could add soil and not really think much about Sacrete it. Sacrete almost anything. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but then for the zoya and all of that, the, it is better to go lighter or go with sand. So, yes, you can uh, fill up the holes without any problem just to level out the ground. You know, and you can do that with your yard. A lot of people have rolling yards so yeah. to speak <clears throat> and you can do like a, a layer of compost layer of sand i like compost as much as possible oh, sure because it does hold the moisture and the nutrients longer and david did have the stump ground a lot of people don't they'll have mm-hmm. their tree cut down and you know, if that's the case you know you surely want to cut that thing as close to the ground as you possibly can but if you don't grind the stump you're going to be dealing with the stump decomposing for years and you'll have some sinkage you'll have holes you'll have mushrooms i mean and i'm not saying that you you have to ground the stump i'm not saying that but i'm just saying if you don't do that you're going to deal with what's left that stump for many years to come down the road Uh, because i've gone through that i cut a uh, pear tree down Mm -hmm. the one that split in half in my backyard i've told you about that data that like they all do eventually and it wasn't a massive tree, so but I, I, I cut it down as close to the ground as I possibly could. I mean, to the point where I could even run a lawnmower over mm-hmm. it, okay? But, I mean, it took years and years for that stump to completely decompose uh, and really just kind of go away. And it really left a hole in the ground yeah. when it finally did <laughs> that. Uh, and I filled it up, of course, with just some good topsoil. But, I mean, I had mushrooms around this thing every year. I would, you know, if I had to watch where I stepped or I'd step through it. I mean, it was just, <laughs> if I had known all that, what I know now, I probably would have had it just dug up or ground out. Yeah. Even though it wasn't that big of a tree. Huh. I wonder how long, I'm sure we've been stump grinding for a very, very, very long time. Yeah. But it seemed like for the um, homeowner application, it wasn't known about as as much, but now there's smaller machines where they can just get a, a machine in there. And when you think stump grinding, you're thinking it's this big machine that comes on a truck. But no, I mean, there's some that are big, but like mm-hmm. I said, there's small versions of it, but it just grinds that wood stump, you know, down below soil level. The stump, the trunk of your tree is still going down below uh, the crown, you know, the, of the tr- trunk right there, all the roots. That's where they're all connected. 
Uh, and in, I'm telling you, in some woods uh, like like pears, pear is a very hard wood. Even though they split yeah. very readily, it's a hard wood tree. <laughs> it really is. And it really does take quite a while for those things to, to break down. But some people get them ground up. Some people don't. I, I really, it doesn't matter either well, way. Well, you know, sometimes it's almost cheaper to get somebody to do the stump grinding than to pay somebody to try to dig the stump out. I agree. Because a lot of um, times my clients would think, well, no, don't do the stump grinder because that's going to be so expensive. I'm going, well, no, you know, you can just take, roll it in and hit it for about five, ten minutes you're done, or we can have two guys out here chopping and chopping for an hour to two hours. It's going to be the same. Well, and my mom had a, a big tree cut down. It was a cherry tree, believe it or not, and it had a massive trunk on this thing. I mean, it was mm-hmm. very old Yoshino cherry, big trunk, biggest trunk on a cherry I think I've huh. ever seen. Look like a small oak tree as far as the wow. trunk of the size, the, the size of the trunk. But uh, she didn't have it ground up, but if she had them cut it very flat, about three inches above uh, ground level, and uh, she's going to just put a uh, make a little bed around it, not big, mm-hmm. uh, and have a pot setting on top of the trunk of the, <laughs> where the trunk yeah. used to be. So she's going to turn it into a focal point, uh-huh. if you will. Yeah, I was thinking about those kind of tree trunk designs, which we can go over. We're going to go to a break. So you can give us a call at 260-5926 or text us a question on Facebook Live. Yeah, and when we get back, Veda, we're going to talk about, is Virginia Creeper, is it a friend or foe? Which one is it? All right, we're back. And this Virginia Creeper thing, friend or foe, mm-hmm. that makes me just think because there are places that's good and then there's places that people think it's poison ivy. But you're right, Betty. You hit it on the hill. It all depends on where it's growing. Case to point, okay? Virginia Creeper is a native vine. It's actually a beautiful vine in my opinion. Now, mm-hmm. it can be invasive. It can you know, grow 30 feet in one year. And to me, that's getting in the kudzu range, Man, okay? That's no no lie. I mean, and it's, it, it can do it. Yeah. Uh, but I had, you know, a, couple, a month ago, I was weed-eating the back my backyard with the, my back fence back there. And in my neighbor's yard, there's evidently Virginia creeper growing back there because mm-hmm. all of a sudden I had Virginia creeper climbing uh-huh. over the, the fence onto my side. And I'm thinking to myself— Okay, that doesn't look bad, mm-hmm. but I'm also thinking to myself, I know how fast this stuff grows, yeah. and it's going to take over this fence, and then it's going to get into my crate myrtles, mm-hmm. and then it's going to be on my, my, my ground, so I am yeah. decided I'm going to keep it cut off, mm-hmm. which has been a constant battle. Well, right across the street out of the cove from where I live, there's a gentleman that moved in this house a couple years ago. And anything that's, that comes up naturally, it's, uh, I promise you, he tries to keep. Whether mm-hmm. it's a, a red bud that uh, a, a bird dropped a seed, uh, whether it's Virginia creeper mm-hmm. that's all of a sudden growing on the front of his house. Oh. Okay? And it has grown up the, uh, the front of the house, uh-huh. up to the very top of the house. Uh-oh. Now it's in the woodwork, <laughs> and it's trying to come up from under the eaves and get on the roof. And it will now, come in the house, too, actually. Well, it, it hasn't gone through the window yet, yeah. okay? <laughs> now, at first glance, it looks like it's something that he planted there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know that he didn't, okay? 
Not that I care, but I'm just saying that the only way that this Virginia creeper would look good on the front of this house is if you keep it manicured and you keep it trimmed to where you want it to grow. But like I said, now that it's gotten up under the eaves, mm-hmm. you can it, it, it looks like it's a wild look yeah. now, okay? So when I said Virginia creeper, friend or foe, it can be either Veda. Um, and it just depends on whether you want to keep up the maintenance yeah. of of keeping it manicured where it's growing. Man, that's almost like an akibia vine. Akibia vine. Akibia. I mean, I'd rather akibia. Yeah, I mean, they're all, most vines are fast growing. But I'm telling you, this Virginia creeper is, it, it reminds me of kudzu. I'm telling you. <laughs> Yeah, so it is a friend in one respect Absolutely. because it's pretty. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful fall color. Exactly. You know? And but, you know, and then growing on the house, I could see how pretty that was or is. But you would have to Until have a gardener constantly You would need a crane it. to get up here and cut this thing off at the top of the— I mean, the roof point so, is way so, up, okay? So that's just not— And it's taken over the front of this house. And it it is a beautiful look. Mm -hmm. But now that it's gotten up under the eaves and you can see that it's just a really woodsy looking, almost unkempt look now. Yeah. uh, You know, I noticed it yesterday. I'm like, oh, all right, this is starting to look a little ragged. Not that I care. Don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. because it's not my house. But I was just made me think about, you know, there are native vines out there like this Virginia creeper that can be really pretty in some settings and can be pretty damaging or ugly in other settings. Man, yes, that stuff grows incredibly fast. Well, yeah, it can hide a house like kudzu. You know, people's ran off the road and, and their cars went down into kudzu and people haven't seen them for like a couple of days because the car is just engulfed in the kudzu. Well, this Virginia Creepers, I'm telling you, it's about the same. I'm serious. Right. But so, um, but it's, it's a matter of opinion. Some people, uh, you know, really propagate it. Some people buy it, believe I know, it or not. I was going to say, do y'all sell that anymore? We used to, but I don't sell No, much. no, ma'am. Yeah. No, we sell, you know, we herbicides to get rid of it, mm, you yeah. know? Well, so, actually, I think in central Texas, we used to grow it there for a alternative vine because it did not do what it does here. Because uh, in central Texas, it didn't grow that fast. So it was like a uh, well-bought vine. And then kind of when we started getting in the transition of people learning more about gardening and native plants and all, and we were still, this was in Memphis, selling the Virginia creeper. Mm-hmm. And, and somebody came in and said, why would anybody sell that? And I thought, you know, I've been wondering that too. And it reminded me of at my old house when I had Boston Ivy yeah. uh, grown on the back of the house. Uh, and, you know, I love the green look on the wall, mm-hmm. the brick walls, because, I mean, it, it's really a pretty look. The foliage is different. It's pretty, than, you yeah. know, and, and it, it sticks to the brick. And long, there again, as long as you keep it manicured, uh, you know, you don't ever want it to get onto the wood part, just like mm-hmm. the Virginia creeper, because it has these little glue feet. <laughs> yeah, glue and it feet. sticks itself <laughs> on there. And once you pull it off, you still have these little glue bumps <laughs> all over the place that you eventually have to come back and sand mm-hmm. off and repaint. So it can be a lot of maintenance after the fact. I mean, you, you learn the wrong way one time, yeah, right? That's for sure. So, I mean, and like I said, and Virginia Creeper would look just as pretty as the Boston Ivy did. So if you're willing to get in there and really keep it manicured, keep it cut the way it needs to be cut, it can be done. But I'm telling you, this stuff is such a fast grower mm-hmm. that it's something that you're going to have to need to look at 
at least once a week, Beta, at least, to yeah. keep it under control. So whether it's friend or foe depends on the individual, I guess, where it's growing and how much maintenance you want to put in behind it. Goodness. Well, it's like English ivy. It's beautiful growing up on the brick, but as soon as it gets past the brick and starts getting on the fascia board, it's, you know, all you can do is peel it off and then you've ruined that. You well, got to come back and do sanding yes, all over all again. Over. Yep. So I had this uh, client who got the uh, new fascia board put out and or painted. Everything's painted, and so we've always kept the English ivy low, so it would give us time to get back to prune it before sure. it grows up on there. Well, it was one of those times where she went home, and then it was really hot, and then. Uh, nothing was growing and then it rained <laughs> and she calls and, and she's like okay it's it hasn't attached yet but i see it out there it's tall enough mm-hmm. and it's just going to lean mm-hmm. on that board yep. and attach <clears throat> itself yep. hurry on this freshly <laughs> like, painted board yes. yeah we don't want to do this again so it's like is this an emergency 911 plant doctor? We're trying to get to our house before that English ivy attaches to that new plant. So all we're saying, board. if you're having a vine, whether it's a native vine or something that you uh, that's not native, uh, just keep it off the facial board. Usually, typically mm-hmm. speaking, keep it manicured, keep it trimmed, and they can be beautiful. But just be aware that some of them are more maintenance than others. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about symbiotic relationships between ants and aphids and things we learn from termites. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We have Jamie, the master gardener on. Good morning, Jamie. Thanks for calling us this morning. Good morning. Hey, Jamie. How are you, sir? I got I got a couple of questions for you guys. I took a couple of weeks off here, and it looked like my house, my whole yard has just grown up. <laughs> what, what is going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on, Jamie. We finally got a little bit of rain. I mean, my yard, you know, and I went through, God, what, two or three weeks, I didn't even have to cut my grass because it just wasn't growing because it was so dry. It was just kind of sitting there. And now that this rain has come in, you know, I mean, I need to be out there this morning cutting my grass. Um, and I know the same thing is going to happen to my shrubs and everything else. They're going to start flushing back out. I mean, you just can't put a value on good rainwater. I mean, just it's just what it does to our lawn and to our landscape. So I hear where you're coming from, Jamie. Uh, it's just I'd rather have that problem than have the problem that we had before. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but anyway, I'm talking about my little azalea bushes here. I got uh, some right next to the garage where you pull a car in or whatever. It looks like they've grown a foot and a half in the last two weeks or whatever. <laughs> and I'm I'm wondering now, I know if I cut them back drastically, I'm losing the blooms for next spring. Is That's that right. right? That's exactly right. <laughs> but I'm going to have to do that just to... Just to get these things under control again, it appears. Well, either you do it now or you wait till after, you know, they bloom next year. But if you do it either time, the thing to remember, Jamie, is you never really want to cut them back more than one third at one time. Uh, and if you do just a third, uh, you'll, you'll be fine either way. I mean, now you're still not going to have any bloom next year, but you still don't want to ever go in there and cut back more than one third of the height at any given time, whether you do it now or whether you do it after they bloom next year. Okay, question. Now, uh, uh, 
guy that I talked to the other day says, I could take and cut some of these big limbs out of the middle of it, mm-hmm. and and I still get blooms next yeah. year. Is that correct? Or oh, yeah. That wrong? That def- we've done that before, too, is just take selected limbs out of uh, plants, and they still bloom. It may not be a complete full bloom, but they still do the blooming because you just randomly took out canes. So you just select prunings. Mm-hmm. What you're doing instead of just across the board zip cutting yeah. these things back about a third. Right. So that way you can get away with your blooming, and then next year maybe prune a little bit sooner to really get the size down. Yeah, they say on on uh, azaleas, Jamie. Usually after July fourth, you know you don't want to cut them back because you definitely will affect the bloom for the next year. I, well, I, I know that. I've done that once before. I, I hate to, have to sacrifice my blooms for next spring. Right. I yeah. know. And, and I would say before you do any cutting back, whether it's select pruning or whether it's really, a, you know, a pretty good hard cutback, uh, I would talk to your wife, Jan, before I did any of that. <laughs> Well, now she stays in the house most of the time. So. <laughs> Making those good tomato pies. <laughs> see what Jamie's doing. I uh, see what you're doing here, Jamie. You can say you can always say, "Well, I called Ken and Veda, and they said, yeah, I could do it, not a problem.'" Yeah, it says, "Go ahead and do it." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, that's just bothering me right now because I usually try to keep a pretty neat yard, and it just looks like death eating a cracker right now. <laughs> <laughs> you sound just like me, Jamie. If I got one limb grown where I don't want it to grow, it, it bothers me. So, yeah, if you can't live with it, get in there and cut them back. But like I said, no more, either select pruning or no more than one-third at one time. Okay. Thank you, guys. Y'all be safe. Thanks, Jamie. Thank <laughs> Thanks, you. Jamie. So he Glad said you're that, feeling better, buddy. He said that last time, like death eating a cracker. Oh, I love that. So I'm that. like trying to visualize death eating a cracker <laughs> or why... It's kind of like when we say, say well, it's like we say plants have wet feet. They don't, they yeah. don't have any feet. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to check this one out. And, and then we had a text, yeah. or a Judy Wood texted in. She said, good morning, guys. She said, more alocasia, calocasia questions, which are typically elephant ears. Uh, if planted in pots, do these need to come indoors for the winter? And should they be watered? Uh, should the watering change, you know, after we bring them inside? Uh, not sure they'll go dormant and die back. Yeah, so that was like I was talking about earlier, my experiment. Yeah. <laughs> my experiment with um, calicacia in containers. And I had it on the patio last year, totally exposed to everything. And you know how we had that up and down, up and down weather. In I the think, winter. Yeah, yeah, in the winter. I think, I'm sure, I know I pulled it up against the uh, the, the wall. wall for about a week. And I think it was the most intense time. So when spring came along, I was waiting to see the bulb coming out. I was like, well, I'll just plant another bulb. But I, I never got around to it in a timely manner. But you did pull the the bulb that was in yeah, there. Yeah, I pulled it out. Because nothing was coming up. Yeah, but stuff still came up. So apparently as it was growing throughout the year, you know, it comes off the sides. The little bublets. Yeah, so I guess the bublets had already detached from the main bulb. Mm-hmm. So when I pulled the main bulb out, I thought, well, I didn't even have bublets. Wow. Well, they still came up, and they came up in the pot next to mine, which I, I don't know how they got over there in that pot. And then the original bulb that I planted too late is still trying to grow. Yeah. So, yes. Um, you, you can definitely leave the bulbs in the pots, but I would still protect them. If I had mm-hmm. a garage, I would put them in the garage, to be right. honest with you, uh, against a wall where, mm-hmm. where they are insulated. Uh, as far as the watering, uh, no, you don't have to right. water those in the garage. Yeah. I mean, either I like to do one or two things, either take them out of the container mm-hmm. or the ground and store them 
or leave them in the container, but put the container in a protected area uh, to where they don't get sloppy, wet all winter and rot the yeah. bub, uh, the bub, and uh, wet and cool, I should say. So, yeah. Uh, Judy, I would I would move in the in the garage. Uh, I don't have to worry about watering them at all, and then just take them back out in the spring, and they should be just fine. If you don't do that, like I said, you can't count on elephant eaters to come back. A lot of times they do, but it's not something that is a hundred percent for I mean, for sure. Right. And if I had have um, left the container out more exposed with all the rain and the container had been they really wet. They would have rotted on yep, you. They would have rotted. So dry. And I mean, it's worth it just to put them in the garage. I agree. Yeah. And yeah. I let mine uh, stay outside. Of course, I let mine stay outside the whole time. But if I was going to put it in the garage, I'm, I would leave it out because the, the leaves start turning yellow and dying down. I would leave it out, you know, until it started looking really bad, cut it back, and then take it inside. Well, you mean in the garage. Yeah, in the garage. So, Judy, hopefully that'll help you, baby. And a lot of times if you do that, you can keep these bulbs year after year after year. But if they're left in the elements where they stay wet and they stay cold, a lot of times they'll just rot on you. Well, you really could grow it inside, too, for a while. You could just pull it into your house in some bright light and enjoy it that way for a while because we sell like a unique or decorative alocasias and we grow them indoors in in bright light through Mm -hmm. the whole season i mean you can grow caladiums indoors just bright light well and jan texted in jamie's wife she Mm -hmm. said jamie i can hear you (laughs) (laughs) that's funny (laughs) so jan uh, jamie can't blame it on us if he goes out there and cuts his azalea back because his wife his wife her uh his wife just heard the whole conversation yeah and and so speaking of them we were doing and the, uh, you know, they're the ones that helped get the or started getting the great tomato tasting contest going. Yeah. And real quick, we had uh, Ted Addison run best of show $200 for his heirloom Cherokee purple. See, that's a great tomato. I keep saying that. Oh, I love it, too. The harvest, the heaviest tomato was first place Ted Addison, which was a brandy wine. One pound, 11 ounces. Big brandy wine. Second place was a Cherokee purple. That was the second place. Oh, so it won first and second. Yeah. Okay. Best all around. Best show was Cherokee purple. Because it just, overall, it was the best tomato that day. And then Val, she grew it and it was one pound, five ounces. So it got second in the heaviest. Oh, I got you. Okay. Okay. So there it is again. Oh, the Cherokee purple also made it down here. An honorable mention was a Cherokee purple. So Cherokee purple took like three Mm. different categories. So that's a good tomato, or was it the person growing? You oh, know, but right. it was. And then there's like the cherry tomato was the uh, first place was a hundred dollars for what? the cherry tomato. Carrie Rogers Sunrise Bumblebee, <laughs> cherry tomato. Second place black cherry. Third mm. place sun gold. So those were the top three cherry tomatoes. Yeah. The sun gold. The bumblebee and the black cherry. Yes. And cherub was honorable mention. The okay. slicing one, I've never heard of this one. It was $100 first place to Ted Addison, which is medium rare. And that's the name of the tomato, yeah, medium, medium rare. rare. Definitely have to look I got, that I'm up. writing that down as yeah. big talk. I got to look that one up. Me too. Second place slicing was Goliath. I've heard of that. Jill Amos. We sell, that, we one. sell that one every year, it seems like, yeah. And third place, Evelyn McGee Lemon Boy. Yeah. Uh, honorable mention, Abigail, it was a tie, 
between the Abigail and the Better Boy. Okay. Good old Better Boy. Yeah. Heirloom, again, was uh, Ted Addison. He won off of Brandywine for the Heirloom. Arkansas Traveler mm-hmm. was an Heirloom. Dad's <coughs> Sunset was an Heirloom. And honorable mention was Cherokee Purple. So, y'all, those are some of the key tomatoes. So start planning this year for next year's tomato contest. Yeah, that'd be fun. Let's go to a break, and then we can talk about our aunts and our uncles and our No, you're going to talk about, yeah, not uncles, aunts (laughs) and and aphids. What do they have in common? And then you said something about termites that we need to know. Yeah, so we'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Call 260-5926. Or go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text. Invade, as you know, if you miss all of this, go to kwamradio.com. There it is, the podcast. You can listen to any album you want. It goes back for months and months mm-hmm. and months and months. So a lot of different ways to hear us and get in touch with Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to talk about the symbiotic relationship between ants and aphids. And of course, you know, Kenneth, like we always talk about, you you see both of them on your peonies. Well, you see the ants on your peonies and you're wondering. But okay, so the aphids, they secrete that um, sticky honeydew, which the ants use for, uh, it's a sugar. <clears throat> and so the ants use that. So the aphids are sucking all the life out of our plants. Yeah. And as they're the fluid out of the leaves. Right. And as they're doing that, they secrete this honeydew. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the ants get a whiff of this, mm-hmm. and there's ants everywhere because right. they want the honeydew. Yes. But then, so so there they're protecting each other. The ants start protecting the aphids. From so other they, predators. Yes. But now <laughs> it even goes deeper. This sounds so sweet, symbiotic relationship. No, I'm taking care of you. You're taking care of me. But as time progresses, ants um, or aphids will actually grow wings to get away from areas that have no food. There you go. So when mm. the aphids are done and ready to go, the ants are taking them down into the mound and they're taking their wings off so they can't leave. Are you serious? Right. Or they're they're feeding them a type of substance or chemical that causes them not to even grow their, their wings because <clears throat> then they need the aphids there for other things. That is amazing. Right. So then so there we go with the symbiotic relationship. It sounds all sweet. Oh, he's protecting Until them. Until they get ready to leave. Right. It's kind of like us taking care of livestock and then Using them for our hamburgers. But it's kind of, oh, <laughs> love that part. <laughs> but also, you know, we talk about ants on the pennies. A lot of people, you know, the pennies uh, secrete this sticky solution, uh, honeydew to some extent, and it attracts the ants. And a lot of people were always thinking that you had to have ants to aid in the pollination yeah. of pennies. Oh, right, Which right, you don't. Yeah. I mean, they're only there because of the sugary solution. The same thing with aphids that give off the honeydew. It's the same thing that, uh, you know, crate myrtle bark scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the scale give off that sticky secretion called honeydew, and that's where the sooty mold starts to grow. Yeah. But uh, it's pretty amazing how the ants get along with the aphids, the aphids mm-hmm. get along with the ants. One is symbiotic with the other. Yeah. Uh, they help each other. Right, right. <laughs> so never trust anybody <laughs> because then later mm-hmm. they're like, no, I wish really – yeah, I uh-huh. was really just here to eat your food and clip your wings when you tried to leave yeah, me, right? Yeah, because I need you down here now. Yeah, what about the termites? Well, 
Okay, so termites can build huge, huge termite mounds. Yeah. You know, like the height of us. Yeah. <clears throat> and if a human built a building using the same ratios, it would be 3,000 feet tall. Wow. But <clears throat> the thing that a scientist <laughs> was looking at them and was thinking, you know, these are all self-cooling uh, tunnels or houses because obviously if they weren't, every, they would all be frying in their, their little houses. Yeah. And so he was doing more research on how they're actually modular, you know, put together. There's holes here, holes there, air comes up this way. Um, in the in the big termite mounds, yeah, if you will. Yeah, which are as big as trees, you know. And so then they control the airflow by opening and closing different holes. Crazy. So this scientist and his team have built, and this is, I found this is around other areas A too. A model of this. Yeah, where it looks just like, any regular building but the way it were in the bottom there's like these big fans that are i mean huge fans because this is like uh, commercial areas yeah it, a it's massive like, complex yeah like really tall and uh, there's commercial projects and it almost looks like you're in a mall yeah because it's got the green and and the water fountains and all that on the bottom floor and then it goes all the way up but there's pipes that um with plants on them to help cool water. The fans take the hot air up and then goes out of these holes. The uh, whole place is designed with air holes here and there. Did it, did it tend to work? Yeah, it worked. It's self-cooled. Um, some places have an air conditioning units, but they don't have to be used unless it's horrible. Saving... Um, <clears throat> electricity 35 to 65 percent some people said 85 but they've never gotten it to 85 still yeah but then other things were too like um you also change your work attire in a way i mean and think about it it sounds crazy but if you don't wear the big heavy suits and the hoses and the skirts you don't and all, get as hot as hot you still dress nice uh, uh, but you know so i mean we're we're talking in terms of where we're in need to save electricity so you're completely rethinking this yeah. you know and then like this one uh, i mean i wouldn't really recommend doing this but i guess it was a type of business they were working in the guy was talking about oh it feels good and the other guys like oh, it's kind of warm and so then he noticed the one that was warm that the guy wasn't wearing shoes. <laughs> and so the other guy took his shoes off and he was feeling much cooler. I mean, we're not going to do this, but I mean, we might have to go to this extent if, uh, you know, things get just parched. But so I was reading about how we learned from termites how to do self-cooling places. Amazing. Also, lots of plants were involved, like on the outer areas, there were plants to protect all the um the uh, windows from the sun mm -hmm. coming through. And it's sort of like what we were reading, how people are designing houses to hold more plants. Well, and plus buildings, you know, now they have reflective windows mm -hmm. and tinted windows and all that anyway. Uh, but th that is, I've never read anything like that. That's pretty interesting. And, and just think about it. It's just the way that the termites just build their their towers, if you mm -hmm. will. And like you said, they're they're not scorching to death in there yeah. because these things are cooled in, 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 in a way that they're being built. Right. Yeah, it's amazing how, and there's, you know, there's so much more stuff we're getting from studying nature on how to make our life easier. Mimic what they do. Yeah, because we, it's, oh, what is the word? 
well, I can't think about the word. It, that's the technical word used is where we take something in nature and then f- uh, artificially recreate it to benefit us. You know, like like um, spider webs are, are strong, incredibly strong, and they're learning how to use those to make Kevlar yeah. with. And we've just learned it from a spider, but then we're using our technology to create something similar. So there, and the funny thing was, is after Amazing. I read this, was I had watched on a an educational show, should I say, about how they they were simulating this, but they would take like ten, twenty blocks of houses, and then in the picture they would push them all together and raise them up higher. The wall would be like. 2,000 feet tall and it would all it would be just like this termite design except for they would have uh, reflective um, walls Mm -hmm. and the houses all encased in that so it would be like this living condition inside with modulars but they were using regular air conditioning in this case but But um, this was a futuristic this was a futuristic thought yes theory yeah the theory the termite um, one made more sense, but then also like um, they're also building buildings that aren't flat mm-hmm. on the outside to absorb heat. They're using like rock, where so the um, the heat is deflected off the points of the rock instead of just soaking up on a flat surface. <laughs> so Amazing. all these little details that we're putting together to use less energy. Yeah. And create more <coughs> green well, I was just, Anything I can do to keep my house cooler this year. You know, if if, if, you, if it didn't make you think about it this year, mm-hmm. you never will. Well, see, you're doing the same thing, though. You don't want that tree there. But, but I'm not going to cut it down. It, right. Exactly. Because of what it, is it doing for your electric bill, your environment, <sighs> your happiness? My house would f- flame up overnight. Yeah. <laughs> it faces dead west. Yeah. And that sun would beat the front of that house to death. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, baby, it's all brick. So we would it would we would cook it would be like an oven. Yeah. I'm telling you. Now, like I told you, you know, the the even my uh globe arborvitas, mm-hmm. the ones that are in the shade because of this tree that's in my front yard. They look beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're not burned or anything. Right on the other side of the walkway there, the arborvitas that are globe-shaped, been there for 20-something years, that are not being protected by that tree, the top of them are mm-hmm. scorched. Yeah. So that just kind of tells you what life would be inside uh, my house. It's already bad enough. Yeah. You know, so you would heat. have like... For instance, a $100 electric bill could be probably 300 Oh, it would be. You, know? you could throw an egg on the side of this house, and it would cook before <laughs> right. it hit the ground, I'm telling you. And if you can't wait for your tree to get a tree to grow enough, there's trellising and there's vines. And uh, like in one city, they use these huge, huge, tall wire trellises and grow vines on them just to add greenery I'm thinking coolness. about an ice bed. Let's do that. All right. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. What it, you got, Kenneth? If you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926, or go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text. 
But Beta, what about the big old green caterpillar that's on the parsley right now? And the reason I bring that up because mm-hmm. it's similar to the big old green caterpillar that we see on tomatoes. Mm-hmm. The big old green caterpillar that you see on tomatoes is not a good bug. You want to get rid of that thing because it will eat your tomatoes up. The leaves, the stems, the plant, the, the fruit, everything. <laughs> but the one on the parsley, I really love to death. Uh, it's a black swallowtail caterpillar. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I, you know? Yeah. So, so why do you want to kill You don't. One. In fact, a lot yeah. of people are out there uh, planting parsley for the caterpillars. For the black swallowtails. Yeah, they're just I mean, coming in and perching us just for that. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you see this big green caterpillar, you know, with some black markings, almost stripes on the back of it, uh, that prob- on parsley, that's probably the, <laughs> uh, the larva stage of a black swallowtail, which are, you know, great to have around. That's the big, mm-hmm. beautiful uh, butterfly. So not every caterpillar out there is a bad bug. A lot of people plant dill. They'll plant milkweed, mm-hmm. you know, for caterpillars. They'll plant parsley for yeah. the black swallowtail. So just because it's a big green caterpillar, and like <laughs> we said, we're so used to seeing the one on tomatoes that we will, you know, do anything in the world to get rid of. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean because it's big and it's green that it's a bad a caterpillar. Man, there's so much more knowledge in the insect world that we're learning which ones are beneficial and which ones aren't. Yeah. And some of the um, quick knee-jerk reactions to seeing an insect is you're ready to just smush it. And then now I'm realizing some are beneficial. Absolutely. Some of them are great to have around. Now, some that we don't want, some we, well, d- we don't mind. Like the predator for the scale that looks like a mealybug. The it's mealybug got, destroyer. Yeah. So I thought... Thought I was seeing mealybugs on this plant, and so I, a lot of times I just wipe them off with my hand. Right. And so I was pulling this one, <coughs> or fixing to wipe it off with my plant, and I, a plant, and I noticed I think it was a mealybug destroyer. Well, and you know, uh, with crepe myrtle bark scale, uh, you know, a problem, a scale that we have didn't have, you know, years ago. Uh, and I remember when crepe myrtle bark scale all of a sudden was showing up on our crepe myrtles here in the Mid-South, mm-hmm. okay? And we're like, what in the heck is this and what's going on? Well, it is a type of scale that affects just our crepe myrtles. But there is a predator, like you just said, Veda, called a mealybug destroyer. Sounds like a horrible bug, right? But it's actually <laughs> a fuzzy white bug that actually moves. It climbs up and down the mm-hmm. trunk of your and the limbs of your crepe myrtle. It actually moves where your scale are not going to move. You can't see them moving anyway. So a lot of people were thinking that was the scale, and they were spraying Mm -hmm. and trying to get rid of all the mealybug destroyers. So you're right. It it pays to know what the beneficials are. There's so many beneficial insects out there that we really need in our landscape to keep everything in check. Right, you know? and when you start seeing beneficials, <laughs> then you know you're doing something right. And sometimes it takes a little <clears throat> sacrificing of some plants, trying to get your balance. <clears throat> but And then the f- hard thing, too, about insects and, and things like this is where these mealybug <clears throat> destroyers, you <clears throat> think, are destroying mealybugs, but they're actually destroying scale. The, the nymph stage of the crepe myrtle bark scale. Yeah. And the reason we're bringing this up because, they're first of all, beneficials are great to have around. Not every bug we have is a bad bug. Very small percentage really is. You're exactly right, Veda. And a lot of times if we go out there, it's scorched earth theory. We spray <laughs> everything, the lawn, the, the shrubs, the, the mulch. We spray everything down. Well, yeah, we might have killed that one bad bug, but we're killing 800,000 beneficial insects mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. So you, you don't want to look at, you don't want to spray with that mentality, okay? 
But crate murder bark scale, the reason we bring it up is it is still out there, not to the extent that right. it was years ago. Yeah. And I think the reasons being, uh, you know, remember when it first came on, people were cutting mm-hmm. crate myrtles down. Yeah. They were cutting them down. Beautiful, blooming crate mm-hmm. myrtles. They didn't want to have to deal with this new insect. Yeah. Well, you know, the tree and shrub insect drench, the product that has got the, what, the imidacloropid in it, all you do is mix it and pour it around the trunk of the tree. And we see where it lasts for at least one growing season, a lot of times up to two years, one drenching does. Yeah. And it would kill that scale. And the, I don't think we're seeing as much of it, Veda, because two reasons. One is people are aware of what crepe myrtle bark scale is, and most people are, are drenching their trees. Secondly, I think, is because we are aware and we are drenching our trees that it's bringing the populations down. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because we got on that pretty quickly. We did. Um, now, do I think crate myrtle bark scale is ever going to completely go away? No, I don't. I think we're always going to have that potential problem, but not the extent that it was you know, years ago when people were freaking out and even cutting their crate myrtles down because of this crate myrtle bark scale. But you mentioned, you know, honeydew earlier on with the aphids and the uh, the ants. Uh, crepe myrtle bark scale, they'll get up there on the trees and the limbs, and they do start sucking the fluid out of the crepe myrtle. And they also give off that sticky secretion yeah. called honeydew. But in this case, anything and anywhere this honeydew gets on, typically the trunks of the tree and everything under the tree, that black sooty mold mm-hmm. will start to grow on that sticky secretion, and yeah. it makes everything just look horrible. Yeah, um, where you don't even, you really don't want the tree because of all the issues underneath. Yeah, yeah. and it's not that the sooty mold is detrimental, it's not mm-hmm. hurting anything. Superficially, it just looks horrible, yeah. and it's an indication that there is a problem. Whether you have aphids up mm-hmm. there secreting honeydew or whether you have crepe myrtle bark scale or both. Uh, It's just an indication that you need to get rid of those insects. But like we said a while ago, and I've learned this the hard way, Veda, uh, because I used to be scorched earth also. (laughs) Uh, If I'm ever going to spray for a problem or drench for a problem, whatever, I'm doing it selectively. I'm not just because I've got lace bug on one azalea doesn't mean I have lace bug on every azalea that I own. Okay. Right, right, exactly. So I'm, I'm more of a target sprayer now, Mm -hmm. much more than I used to be because of the uh, you know, the potential of harming the beneficials that are out there. Right, because say, for instance, that if you did not know what was going on with your arbovitis or your, what was it? The My round? globe arbovitis. Yeah. That I've got you the may, burn on the top yeah, of them. so you might think, oh. I've got an insect a, problem. Right, so I need to spray this whole two rows. Nope. When really, if that was an insect problem, all you had to do was fertilize, water a little more, treat it. And just that one little one instead of just working the whole way down. And that was the old way. Or how about, did you have the calendar, which it was like, okay, in three On April 15th, I want you to nuke everything. And then on May the 15th, I want you to do it all over again. In September, you need to put your fungicide down. And just all these little calendar where you had to do it that way. And it had to be done everything. But now we are. It was... Our integrative pest management is what I think the first words had come out where meant that you were actually integrating yourself into the garden and and seeing that I only have bugs on this plant, but not on this whole row. I mean, you're so right. And I don't mind spraying when I need to spray, but it doesn't mean that I'm spraying. I'm nuking my whole landscape because of one aphid 
you know, that's on my milkweed, you know? Right. Which they're really... Um, what is the other insects, the the black and uh, red ones that are on the milkweed? Like box elder bugs. Yeah, and they actually have to be there to make the seed pods open. Well, that's that's my point. Just because not every bug is a bad bug, in, including these beautiful caterpillars that are on the mm-hmm. parsley right now. Like I said, that's a black eastern an eastern black swallowtail. Yeah, you know, and then you know the milkweed. You know, you see the uh, what the monarchs. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, caterpillars on it. So yeah. uh, I think people are slowly coming around that not mm-hmm. every bug is a bad bug, Veda. Now, there are some out there, don't get me wrong, but yeah. uh, not every one of them are going to be a bad bug. Oh, my gosh, that just reminded me. This was so humorous because this shows the way that we've been educated or taught or brainwashed or whatever. But, you know, we've always forever and ever and ever in the garden industry said, I don't know why somebody brings a plant back that they killed because when it left here, it was fine. Sure. You know, and I told you how to plant it and I told you the right stuff to use and I told you how to water it. Yeah. And so I've done everything possible to make you keep this beautiful plant alive so whatever you did it was something that happened to your house it's like we always More. say plants want to live in spite right. of what we do to it well so there's these younger couple in the garden center and they were checking out plants and other stuff like this and um, they were just talking about places and one girl goes oh my goodness you know what i heard this lady was at this garden center asking if she could bring a dead plant back that she bought they start laughing and they're laughing they go what they buy a good plant, take it home and kill it and then think they can bring it back. <laughs> well, so the younger generation think is like, they that's understand. a ridiculous thing. Yeah. because. So it's like, how did that happen in the very first place that like we taught you how and then you went home and didn't. But I mean, I, I know how, but I still kill plants. But I know mm. how, because you can't be 100 percent on anything. Now, and another well, you're right, Veda, so much. And like you said, I mean, if you buy a perfectly healthy-looking plant, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that plant, and you take it home and kill it, yeah. then, yeah, even though, you know, I mean, most garden centers have some type of warranty involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it, whether it's a half-price replacement yeah. or whatever, and some things have no warranty, like dogwoods, pecan trees, mm-hmm. and some of those. But, like I said, plants want to live in spite of what we do yeah. to them. They, they want to survive. But real quick, I know we only got a minute before we go to the break. The other caterpillar that you don't want is the same caterpillar. We talked about this mm-hmm. before, but I'm still seeing a lot of it, is the uh, caterpillar that gets in the canna leaves. Ugh. It rolls that thing up, mm-hmm. glues it shut, and eats it from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Now, how cool is that? I know. Because I know. it rolls. It's, it's, it's like it's rolling the food uh. around it to protect it from birds yeah. and everything else. And it eats as much as it wants mm-hmm. every day from the inside out, yeah. okay? So that's a pretty smart caterpillar. Right. <laughs> but the canna worm, the canna caterpillar, the caterpillar that gets in the cannas and rolls those leaves up, you don't want that one. <laughs> get in there and cut out all those rolled up leaves, get rid of them, and go back in there and spray selectively mm-hmm. the cannas with a uh, BT, Spinosad, one of these mm-hmm. products that is um, very safe to use, but definitely would kill caterpillars right so next year before we get to this stage it would be good to go ahead and spray some spinosin diatomaceous earth bt BT. yeah something like that all right we're gonna head to a break and then we'll go over a few more things before it's time to go garden yeah Good morning. Welcome 
Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So, uh, Pam Green, who had called about or asked about the lavender, she had to take a maple down and left the stump out. And um, let's see. Left the stump above ground, of right, course. Right, right. And so she's got a pot on her stump. That's what then, we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've seen somebody do gnome, little gnome uh, houses. They decorate the stump. Yeah, it's so cute. But she's going to get sod today for her 91-year-old neighbor that taken her birch down. Right. And she was curious if we would use worm castings like when you put the sod down. And yeah. Well, absolutely. you definitely can. I mean, I don't mind. I like using a light layer of some type of mm-hmm. compost. Uh, before I lay my side down, uh, it's good. You know, it's a good, high nutrient rich mm-hmm. soil uh, that these little feeder roots can embed down into, and the side to get off to a really good start. Right. Um, yeah. Or, I, and if you needed more for economic reasons, I would still use like a good bag of compost, and then add worm castings to it too right yeah but depending on how much space it is because if i ever have an opportunity to just use straight worm castings yeah. I unless do. it's a big area then you That's know i'm really using you know yeah. some type of cheap dirt or whatever uh but small areas like that yeah you can't go wrong yeah with yep. earthworm castings. that'll make it take much quicker invaded hey, we've talked about this before also mm-hmm. but we're still in the dog days of summer uh in the south Okay. Mm-hmm. Now it doesn't appear that the mosquitoes have been as bad lately I, because yeah. we haven't had all the moisture. Yeah. It's been so dry. Now they're still out there, and they somehow still find water for the larva to hatch mm-hmm. into mosquitoes. They, I mean, I don't know how they do it, but they do it. But if you're having a problem with mosquitoes, and people like to enjoy the outdoors when they can, but if the mosquitoes are pushing you back inside then this is where I don't mind going out there and spraying periodically, whether it's my lawn, my beds, or even my shrubs once a month with a product like a permethrin or bifenthrin. I mean, they're, they're broad-spectrum insecticides. Uh, they are very safe to use, okay? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there again, it's one of those things where I don't ever want to spray unless I have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's gotten to a point where I can't even go outside because of the mosquitoes, then at that point, I have to spray. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, we, yeah. you know, I wanted to bring that up because we were just talking about a while ago, you know, not nuking everything mm-hmm. in your yard. Well, at some point, at some times, especially when it comes to, like, mosquitoes, mm-hmm. you've got to spray more than just a little target area. Now, what you might do is just spray the area around your back patio. Yeah. You know, instead right. of spraying there every everything in your backyard. Yeah. Um, so... You know, depending on what the problem is, I mean, sometimes we got to get out there and spray probably a little more than we normally would have to, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to something like mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah and there's uh, different kinds of mm-hmm. uh, product that's in a lot of the mosquito killers, like yeah. the mosquito beater. It's permethrin. Yeah, it's permethrin, which still can get some beneficials and all, but it's not like... Acephate yeah. and, you know, the old malafines right. and that we, diazinons <laughs> that we used to use. And then bifenfrin is in the, it's in a permethrin or it's in a pyrethroid family. Mm-hmm. But bifenfrin uh, has a good residual also. But I like permethrin too because not only does it control kill insects, including mm-hmm. mosquitoes, it also acts as a repellent. Now, I don't think the residual is quite as long on permethrin as, as it is bifenfrin. But both of them, uh, you know, depending how much rain you get, will last at least up to a month after yeah. you spray. Yeah. The residual so, does. 
So if we keep having some rain, then we're going to get some mosquitoes. Yes. Either way. But, huh? I, but I do think it's been a little better as far as the mosquitoes because it's been so dry, mm-hmm. though, because, I mean, they don't really bother me, knock on wood. And, I, of course, I'm sure I just curse myself. But my wife, and I've told you this before, Betty, she can stick her foot out the back door and they're all over <laughs> it uh, when, they are, when they're actually active. So, you know, I want to make it also to where – we all can enjoy the outdoors without just being killed by these mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah. There is, um, um, our, well, I remember where I was going with this. Somebody called and wanted to know if he could do a lawn in mosquito-killing plants <laughs> or mosquito-repelling plants. Yeah, you can. Man, and I was like, you always want to give somebody a good answer, a positive answer, but there was no... <clears throat> You can't plant a lawn. There's nothing that you could plant as a lawn that would repel mosquitoes. I mean, we go with the lemongrass and And the the citronella uh, plants and lavender, even peppermint. But but it takes so much Mm -hmm. of that. I mean, you can't count on just that to get rid of your mosquitoes. I mean, you just can't. Uh, And then I know there's all kind of gadgets that you can buy and hang Mm -hmm. up around your patio. Some of them work a little better than others. Uh, none of them are 100% effective. I don't yeah. care what you read or what you hear. And even spraying periodically, you know, that all that's doing is, is bringing the population down. You'll never completely eliminate, yeah. you know, the mosquitoes. Right. And I'm into like one less bite is better. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> you know? Some people don't want to do anything if it only helps a little bit. And they just kind of like. a little bit adds up to a lot. This is true. And anything that flies, even the Japanese beetles, you know, that mm-hmm. we fight every year now. Whether we're putting up traps and a combination of spraying, doing both of those, we're going to reduce the number of Japanese beetles that we have in our landscape. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have more fly in two days later, okay? You, you can and you will, but we're doing everything we can to keep the population down to acceptable levels. That's yeah. all we're trying to do. Right, that's it, you acceptable know? levels. You know, I'm surprised we didn't get way more white fly because you know the white fly loves the drought <coughs> the hot times the stressed out plants the low fertilized plants I agree hadn't seen as many white flies uh, this year but you know this was the year of the the leaf hopper the cottony mm-hmm. leaf hopper where you know people would go out there to their plants and see this kind of cottony stringy yeah. residue on their plants and then you kind of move that cottony <laughs> residue and this little pink, this little white thing will hop out of there. Uh, and that's a cottony leafhopper. And I think I've had more complaints and, and had more people ask me about cottony leafhoppers this year mm-hmm. than ever. So what are you recommending or what do you Same saying? thing, a permethrin or something, mm-hmm. just a broad spectrum insecticide because they're bad bugs also. But beta, it seems like every year it's just something mm-hmm. different, whether it's white fly one year, cottony leaf hoppers, next year to be lace bug, next yeah. year. I mean, it's always something, something a little different every year. It seems like the cottony leaf hopper takes a whole lot more to do, like a lot of damage, like a lace bug. You know, they just wipe a plant out pretty quick. But I don't ever see like an invasion of the leaf hoppers. Have you? Not an invasion, yeah. but we, we've had more people ask about what they are this year than mm-hmm. we ever have. I wonder what the what the change in the cycle Who, did that's to the create point. it. Who yeah. knows? Why is it? It's a different bug, it seems mm-hmm. like, every year. Yeah, it was like, oh, go ahead. And then, you know, another one are the, the harlequin bugs and the stink bugs this mm-hmm. year on yeah. the vegetable plants, you know, especially in your garden where you have tomatoes growing. I mean, they'll, they've got this little piercing little needle mouth that they just stick into mm-hmm. the tomato 
and they keep doing that, and you get this kind of cloud look yeah. on the tomato, and it makes them look horrible, and then it makes them to where you don't even want to eat them. Yeah, it's done. Well, you know, uh, one year they noticed that there was a huge population in uh, worms, and it's because they had just started spraying to kill wasps, uh-huh. and wasps can kill worms. Uh-huh. See y'all next weekend in the garden.